Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're all going going at the same time and uh, you know feeding off each other. I think we can be pretty dangerous. We got three lines that can score, three lines that could probably be first line. So uh, you know if everyone keeps on going and, and builds off each other, then uh, we can be pretty dangerous. Feeling pretty dangerous oh. today. That's what the Blues are feeling like with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues back in action tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins on the road. Alex will have your pregame coverage coming up at 5:30 right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. If you guys want to get involved in the show, the Air Comfort Service text line is 65780. It's 11:05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Alex, this is a big test for the Blues. I know we talked about Saturday and there were kind of differing, differing opinions between all of us. Yeah, T-Bone thought it was just a joke of a game and didn't even matter. The weather, outdoor, yeah, there were reasons I could understand why you wouldn't view that as a measuring stick game. I did, and I certainly felt that way afterwards when we saw the show that Kairou Thomas and Tarasenko were able to put on against a legitimate contender in Minnesota. But even if you didn't feel that way, What you're about to see over the next couple of games against Pittsburgh and then Washington, two of the contenders in the East, there is no doubt these are legitimate measuring stick games, especially now that the Blues have their entire lineup outside of Bortuzzo back out there once again. Alex, this is a big one for the Blues, and I am fascinated to see how they they match up against two of the best in the East. And and you know what's interesting with this one, too, is you're getting a team that is kind of identical to you in the sense of scoring goals. And I'm not sure where Pittsburgh ranks right now in the National Hockey League. Uh, They're middle of the pack, 98 goals scored this season, but they have the number one penalty kill, which is going Going to isolate and shut down your number three power play in the National Hockey League. Their power play percentage isn't overwhelming. Uh, actually, it is. It's 91% right now. So their, their power play? Oh, I was looking at the penalty kill. I, I apologize. Like, 91% power scoring. play. That would just be ridiculous. No. Of power their, their power play has have not they had four. <laughs> their power play has not been good. But here's the thing. You got Sidney Crosby. You got Chris Letang. This is a team that scores goals. This is a team that likes to play off the rush. Eastern Conference hockey is kind of pond hockey. And for the Blues, it's going to be a entertaining matchup because that's the style that's been winning games for them. They've still been giving up a lot of goals, but they've been scoring. They've been outscoring their 
issues on the defensive side, which has put him in this them in this position. You've 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 accomplished the challenges all season long with teams that are Stanley Cup favorites, and yet people still look at the Blues as ah, they're a dark horse in the National Hockey League. This is another reason why if you pull out a victory, you get two points. You should start looking at this team a little differently. Yeah, they got to string together a couple of games where it was the Edmonton one where you came out of the break and it was, okay, you're going against a high-flying team. How's the defense hold up? We came out of that game going, wow, that may have been the team's best defensive performance of the year. Yeah. You play Dallas, you play very well. That third period, whether you want to read into it or not, I think they just took the foot off the pedal. They're up 5-1 or 6-1, and then it led to Dallas getting back into it. You're going against these Eastern Conference teams, as you mentioned, where it is the kind of that pond hockey style I'm with you. The offense, this is probably going to benefit the offense. I'm very curious to see how this defense holds up because I'm still in the belief, even though I've seen Mikola play well, that they are in need of a top four defenseman. And this will really be one of those measuring stick kind of stretches for the Blues. So far this year, the Blues have played well in these types of games. I'm going to name a few teams, Alex. This is about 10 of them so far that have been on the schedule for the Blues. You guys tell me just a yes or no real quickly after each one of them, if you think they're a legitimate contender or not. And if you disagree with my assessment of it, we can talk about that. Arizona. <laughs> yes. Colorado. Yes. Vegas. Yes. Nashville. Yes. Carolina. Yes. Edmonton. No. See, I, I look at Edmonton regardless of. If you've got McDavid and Drysaddle. Yeah. Like, I have a hard time saying that you can't be a it, contender. It's the number one power play in the National Hockey League. Like, I, I don't care that they struggle. You got two guys who have 105 points combined. So, yeah, they're a contender, in my opinion. Tampa Bay. Definitely. Yeah. Florida. Definitely. Yeah. Anaheim. Definitely. Minnesota. Yes. That's seven, five, and three is what the Blues have done against those teams so far this season. That's pretty darn wow. good, man. Really? You were able to get points in 10 of your 15 games so far against those contenders that we just discussed. That's what you need to be doing if you are one of the teams that's going to be competing for a Stanley Cup. They've got to continue that, though. The Penguins, the Washington Capitals, when those teams are at 100%, they're also on this list of teams oh, that yeah. can be legitimate contenders in the Eastern Conference. So that's why I am so curious to find out what the Blues look like against them. And I also agree with both of you that the test is really for this defense. There will be nights when the Blues struggle to score goals. It's going to happen. But I, at this point in time, I have zero worries about the offense. I know when healthy, they're good enough to score as many goals as they need to in the postseason. That will not be, knock on wood, again, if they are healthy, why they lose in the postseason. The defense, however, is a legitimate concern right now. And over on The Athletic, Dom, our buddy, who I think is going to be joining us tomorrow. 1130 tomorrow. I, I got some... It got some problems with Dom that we're going to have to talk about. Not surprised to hear that. Dom is not a huge fan of what the Blues have done so far this year. And there are numbers that he looks at that would indicate as to why. But one of the things that I do think a lot of people would agree with him on is the Blues defense. He wrote earlier today the six stats that matter right now in the NHL for him. Said much more pressing for the Blues is Colton Pareko. Once viewed as one of the league's top shutdown defenders has now seen his results consistently decline, especially over the last two seasons without Alex Petrangelo around him. Only one defender has a worse expected, that's your, your word, Alex, goals rate and actual goals rate compared to Colton Pareko. He's at 46% and 42% respectively. And essentially, uh, he's getting scored on and is expected to be scored on a lot so far. He's getting caved in, and that is not what you want to see from a guy responsible for the team's toughest minutes. Again, that from Dom over at The Athletic. That's one of the big things for me, Alex. After this two-game stretch against Pittsburgh and Washington, 
it becomes about the internal questions for the Blues. It's less so about measuring them up against their opponents and more so about, okay, what do you have? Can Colton Pareko be that legit number one defenseman or do you need to trade for one? What does Nico Mikola look like? What does your back end of the defensive pairings look like as well? Can Scandella hold up at the back end? Is Robert Bortuzzo good enough to be a sixth defenseman for a championship contending team in 2022? All of these are the questions that need to be answered over the next really two months or so before we get into trade deadlines. They talk. do. And look, I have been a Jordan Bennington defender and people make fun of me for that one. And I'll admit it. Jordan Bennington has to start stopping more goals. I mean, he's allowed three in. I don't even remember what the number was that we talked a couple weeks ago, T-Bone, but add in a couple more games to that because you had the winter classic, which is kind of an anomaly. But look, the problem with those statistics that we're going to go off of for Colton Pareko is you're isolating the whole season and we all can agree he was bad in November he was not the same guy we were talking about how Colton Pareko does not look like the number one defenseman do you know where the Blues rank in their last 10 games in goals allowed they're I'll say first they're fifth in the National Hockey League there oh, are what? only four other teams in the NHL that have allowed more goals than the Blues in their last 10 let me list some Fewer of the goals in the Blues Yes, fewer goals, sorry. Let Just me list sure. the teams that they that they played against in these last 10 games. Tampa, Florida twice, Detroit, Montreal, Anaheim, Dallas twice, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Minnesota. It's interesting because the Blues are actually 11th on the season, which is pretty good in terms of goals allowed per game. And if you look at Colton Pareko's numbers in those 10 games, I think he's a plus three or something like that. So I understand Colton Pareko, big picture, has not been the number one defenseman. But if you isolate the last 10 games where the Blues, we all can agree, have trended in the right direction, 7-1-3 and three or 7-2-2. Two and two, No, 7-1-2. and two. Bad math. You were close, man. They've improved drastically. So I'm not as concerned about that. Is it something that you focus in on? Absolutely. That's why we ask the questions. We asked Rick Tockett about that yesterday. But it's not what it's not what what is holding this team back from winning a Stanley Cup or being a true contender because their offense can help there and defensively they've improved. That Rick Tockett quote is something that I want to get to. We'll do that on the other side. Is it time for the Blues to go all in? Alex doesn't view the defense as being a big issue. Tanner, I know, absolutely does. Where do you guys stand on that? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll talk about the defense and if this is the time for the Blues to go all in on it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. These last three weeks, if you don't believe in the St. Louis Blues, you, you haven't been watching hockey. Um, last game after the telecast, we, you know, I, I, you would not be surprised if they're in the finals. Like, they, I, they're one of my preseason picks to get to the finals. There's about three other teams because they're built. I think Doug Armstrong is a terrific GM, and he's come up with some really good trades, and he's very patient. Um, and I still think he's got something up his sleeve. I think maybe a defenseman at a trade deadline is something that they might look at. I'm not quite sure. But uh, they're definitely built for a seven-game series against anybody in the league. Wow, strong statements Great. from Rick Tockett yesterday on with us on BK and Ferrario. If you missed any of that conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alongside Alex Ferrario and the wonderful Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario Just on 101 ESPN. Alex, we talked about this a little bit in the open. I think we should continue to do so. And really, this is the big lingering question for the Blues over the next couple of months. 
is this the year that you actually go all in? I'm not sure the last time that Doug Armstrong really went all in in season. Now, he's had big off seasons where he makes massive moves and landscape changing moves for this team. You look back to the Ryan O'Reilly offseason. That certainly was that. Hell, last offseason, I think you could make a case, was one of those. I don't remember the last time that he really went all in with a massive move in season to go for a Stanley Cup, though. And Alex, I think this might be the year because when you look at what the team currently has, there's nothing barring injury that you need to add up front. You are not only strong in net right now, you also have depth at goaltender that very few other teams across the NHL can say that they have. The only real lingering question for me is what Rick Tockett just said on our return. Do you have the defense to be able to make it through the gauntlet of the Stanley Cup playoffs? And I don't know the answer to that question right now. I'm not sure Doug Armstrong knows the answer to that question just yet, but it's the one thing that they still need to see over the next couple of months. Alex, if they end up finding out, you know what, Nico Mikola, good player. We like him as a third pairing defenseman right now, but he's just not ready to be a top pairing defenseman for a Stanley Cup contending team. Do you make that big move this year? I think you have to. I mean, what Rick Tock has said in that cut of being built for a seven-game series, it's rare to have a team that you can say that. Like, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, I don't think you're built for a seven-game series. I think you're a playoff contender, but I don't think you're built for a seven-game series. If you're the Anaheim Ducks, you look awesome. Are you built for a seven-game series? I'd even throw out there, I don't know if Vegas is built for a seven-game series because their goaltender has struggled. The Blues are clicking on all facets right now. Offense is one of the best in the NHL. Special teams has been dominating it. Defense, maybe it's a concern, but it's been playing better. And then goaltending. Look, Bennington has to be better, but if the defense plays better in front of him, you're going to get a solid performance. I think you have to go all in with this. And you guys are right. I thought about this last night. I, I don't remember this team going all in other than the year when they said, we're going to get a goaltender, improve the area that is the weakest for us, and we're going to go get Ryan Miller on top of adding a leader in the locker room in Steve Ott. That was was going all in. I would argue that they went all in in 18-19 by not making a move because everyone was clamoring them for trading people and trying to rebuild, but he said, no, we're going all in with this. But in terms of a trade, Doug Armstrong doesn't go all in in season. He goes all in in the offseason. He acquires Ryan O'Reilly. He makes the signings. He makes the moves that they need to. But the position you're in now, you gave yourself a five-year window to win Stanley Cups. You're in year three of this five-year window. You got this year and next year. And I think where you are at right now, you know where you're weak. You know what needs to improve. And you have the assets to make a move that's not going to destroy your future. So, yeah, I think now is the time to go all in if you're Doug Armstrong. Yeah, I'm with you. This is the deepest that we've seen the Blues forward-wise. And we've heard John Kelly say it. You've said it, Alex, maybe that we've ever seen. And it's not going to get any deeper next year. Heck, the court's probably not going to stay the same next year. So this is that year to where you need to capitalize on having this deep of a forward where you have four solid lines. We're talking about possibly seven 20-plus goal scores where you need to go all in and need to go acquire that defenseman if you believe that's the biggest hole, which I still believe it is, and I'm with UBK. Army may not be ready to say that's the biggest need yet. We've still got about two and a half months till the trade deadline. But if that's what you ultimately decide is, okay, Mikla's probably not going to be that guy for us, 
to me, you have to go all in. You have the assets that Alex was talking about. You've got some prospects that would be wanted. You've got even kids that are with the team now that have had prospect status, like a Clem Costin that probably still has value. Uh, maybe a Ville Husso as well has value if you still get Charlie Lindgren playing well down in the minors. This is the year to go all in if you're the St. Louis Blues. You need to take that 2014 approach. I know it didn't work out with the Ryan Miller trade, but it was the right move at the right time, and they need to be willing to do that again this year. It's interesting because I was listening to the fast lane yesterday and we had heard so much about Jacob Chikrin and he's he's going to get all of the buzz leading into the trade deadline. He's likely going to be the top available defenseman and who knows if he's going to get traded or not. It's going to be a massive cost if he does, but he he's going to be the top guy. Jamie mentioned another name that I do think is at least worthy of consideration. He's older. He's also proven, though, and he could potentially play on the back end with uh, with Pareko. Is this he, another Nelson Cruz thing? N- no, it's pretty close. Kind of. Um, and I, I do think this is a name that we should also keep in mind. Here's what Jamie Rivers had to say about another potential trade option other, other than Chikrin if that cost is too high. But I think the asking price for a Mark Giordano in Seattle with the Kraken, he's... He's a leadership guy. He's had a phenomenal career with the Calgary Flames. He can play the power play, penalty kill. He's that veteran guy. He's got grit to him. If you put him right now playing left side with Colton Pareko, that's your shutdown tandem. At that point, I think it makes the Blues a solid contender. He's somebody that I would absolutely be interested in. And Alex, we talked about him in the offseason, in fact. I remember you brought up his name as, hey, he might be available in the expansion draft. And if he is, maybe you just make a move beforehand. And you decide to take him off Calgary's hands and you take on that salary. He's 38 years old, so he's getting up there. He is in the final year of his contract. And this would probably be a one-year stopgap for you on the back end. But if you're not willing to meet the price for Chikrin, and you just want to truly go all in on 2022 as being the year that you think you can win this cup, I think he makes a ton of sense for the Blues, Alex. I do, I do wonder how long it would take him to get ingrained into what the Blues do defensively. We saw with Justin Falk and with Tory Krug, it took them a little bit of time before they really became the players that we now see them to be. But he's a he's a guy that makes a ton of sense uh, for this Blues team. Yeah, he does. Um I, I love Mark Giordano. I mean, look, he, he won a Norris Trophy. What was this? Back in the 2018-2019 season, he's been a stable guy for Calgary his entire career. It reminds me a lot of what Jay Bolmeister was when he played with the Calgary Flames. No coincidence. Um, I, I wonder... I just wonder what he is at this age because everyone's going to go to the plus minus and say, oh, well, look at him. He's a minus 13 in 27 games. Don't judge it by that because he's playing for a Seattle Kraken team that is not getting good goaltending at all. team stat, some would say. It is a big team stat, as a lot of people that don't know would say. Uh, Anyway, you go to the last... Thanks, T-Bone. You go to the last couple of seasons, and he's been a lot more effective when you look at those numbers. I think he plays the heavy game. I think he's not afraid to get nasty if he needs to, and he's got leadership skills. My only hesitancy with this is you you have to toe the line of going all in but also not becoming the Chicago Blackhawks. And what I mean by that is I love Mark Giordano, and I think he would make this team a clear-cut Stanley Cup favorite in a lot of people's eyes. But Seattle just wants draft picks. Seattle just wants prospects because they're building something right now. Do you really want to get to the point where you're bringing in a guy who was 38, going on 39, have him for half of a season, and give up assets that are going to make Arizona better and possibly stunt your growth? 
if we're talking a first round pick and a minor prospect, okay, I'm a, I'm fine with that. I can't imagine it's a whole lot more than that for a guy that's a rental and 38 years old. I, I can't imagine that either. But if you're Seattle, why wouldn't you ask for the sky? For I mean, you can ask like for this. whatever you want to. I'm just not giving it to you. Somebody might pay it. And that's what I don't want Doug Armstrong to do. So Mark Giordano makes sense for me. But I'm not going all in for him like I would for a Jacob Chikrin because there's more control oh, there. Totally agree with you. And also Chikrin's, what, 24 years old? Exactly. So yeah. it's not just the more control. It's also if it goes well, you control him and then you can re-sign him. And he could be a fixture the way that um, a Pavel Buchnevich could potentially be a fixture for this lineup for right. many years to come. So I'm totally with you Giordano is not the same type of a move as adding a chicken would be but it, it is in some ways an even more all-in move because this would be exclusively about 2022 this would be Doug Armstrong saying you know what bleep it I'm putting all of my chips into the middle because I believe this is a team that's worthy of me putting all of my chips into the middle but you got to make the right choice with that player 100 percent. gotta know Giordano's the guy like look Jacob Chikrin was on the list for Olympians before the season even began that tells me it's a guy who can make a difference right now it's Ben Sherratt and Giordano do those two guys make you that much better than Nico Mikola and Marco Scandella and that's the big question because the Blues are in so many ways in a very similar spot to where the Cardinals are Because the Cardinals have to make decisions right now of, okay, we could go out there and get one of those uh, mid-tier free agents, one of those bench bats, right, that we've talked so much about, or one of the starters that seemingly everybody nationally wants them to sign. How much of an upgrade are they, though, compared to what we currently have internally? How much of an upgrade is Zach Greinke over Jake Woodford at this stage of Zach Greinke's career? I honestly don't know the answer to that question. It might be none. He might actually be worse than Jake Woodford right now. But people want him because of the name recognition, right? I think that's the same case here with Giordano. I don't know how much of an upgrade he would be over Mikula, but I think it would be sizable. Sizable enough that it would be worthy of the addition. That's the that's the cost-benefit analysis that Doug Armstrong needs to be doing. What are we giving up? And what are we acquiring? And what is the what is the gap between that player and who we currently have in that spot? And Iko Mikula, it's got to be sizable enough that it makes sense for you. And maybe you make a little connection here as to why Doug Armstrong hasn't gone all in by the trade deadline. Because the asking prices at the trade deadline are ridiculous. Like, uh, again, I referenced yesterday. What did they give up for Scandella? It was... um, Wasn't it like a third round pick? It was a third round pick or was a conditional pick pick or something like that. a lot. But... Sorry, T-Bone. Uh, the second round pick in 2020 and a conditional pick in 2021. I, the I, reason yeah. why I ask is just because that was that was a rental as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that, that kind of sets your barometer for like solid yeah. mid-tier defensemen. You're probably looking at at least giving up a first round pick in a deal like this if you're going to get a, a real upgrade for your top pairing. And, and I brought up yesterday Ryan McDonough and what I didn't isolate when we talked about this yesterday because that's a really good comp if you're going to try and go for Jacob Chikrin. They also traded JT Miller in that trade with with McDonough to Tampa. Or to New York to Tampa. Sorry, very confusing. From New York but to Tampa. But that's why they had to give up three first-round pick players and a couple of depth pieces. If you're going McDonough, you're probably looking at two guys who are top picks, who prospects, whatever they may be. The cost might not be as much, but then you take that next step down to Giordano and Ben Sherratt. If you're only talking about a draft pick, that's where I'm fine going all in as long as it doesn't mess up the chemistry. See, I viewed Giordano as an upgrade over maybe a Nico Mikola, but to me that's not the all-in push I want to see from Doug Armstrong. I want to see him go for that top guy that's on the market, and I know it's going to be costly, but I mean, we're talking about a team that, sure, Giordano might improve the defense. 
I don't know if he makes me the favorite for a Stanley Cup. I don't know if he puts me on the same tier, maybe, but it's at the bottom of that tier. I want to see him go for that big fish that's at the top of the market. I, I'm telling you, I want to see that Ryan Miller as trade. Ryan Miller was the top goaltender on the market. Doug Armstrong made that move, acquired him. It didn't work out. I think if you go and acquire a Jacob Chikrin, who I think is the top defenseman on the market, I don't think we're talking about a deal in a couple years where we say, oh, yeah, that one really hurt. Maybe you'd fear going into Blackhawks territory, but if you're telling me I'm getting two Stanley Cups in a matter of a four-year window, I'm more than willing to take that sacrifice and potentially deal with the repercussions later down the years because I have that much faith in Doug Armstrong to where he's going to be able to recoup from whatever trade he makes because he's just proven he's been able to do it over the last couple of years. We should get somebody on from Arizona to talk about Chikrin because we, we need to find we need out. To know about more about yeah, him. Yeah, is this guy, I, I understand he's a very good player. I'm not going to pretend like I've been watching a whole lot of Arizona Coyotes hockey over the last they're, couple of seasons. They're not watching them either. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> the guys playing in the game aren't watching the Arizona Coyotes. Because the reason why I say that is like, if you're going all in with Chikrin, that dude better be a star. Like he better be what Jay Bomeister was at the in his career here in St. Louis. That has to be the caliber of player that you're acquiring because you're talking about giving up Perunovic, who has the potential to be a Quinn Hughes type of player on the back end. You're talking about giving up a first round pick and look at all the guys that we're very excited about right now. Former first round picks for the most part with neighbors and Cairo and um and Robert Thomas. Like these guys were big time top. 40 picks for the blues if you're giving up those kinds of assets you better be getting something special in return i think chicken might be that but i would just like to learn more from the guys that are watching him on a night in night out basis to find out is that really what he is right now at this stage of his career because i'm i'm not projecting with him i I know he's 23 24 years old i don't care what he's going to be five years from now and how good he potentially can be is he that now can he be a shutdown defenseman where he is better than Colton Pareko? Because that's that's what it's got to be. He's got to be at that level right now. That's what the all-in move would, would be if you're going with him. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley, there's certainly going to be plenty of time to talk about those kinds of moves. If you got any questions about the Blues and what they could potentially do at the deadline, we will get into that coming up in questions and answers in about 15 minutes. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, some NFL rapid reaction including... How do we handle these broken records in the NFL? Cooper Cup's probably going to become the league's all-time single-season leading receiver. Do we view it that way, though, if he does it in an extra game? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex is all in on getting Jacob Chikrin at this point. He's looking up. Start with me. Jacob Chikrin. Jacob Chikrin. Junior's team coach and He's finding teammates out. teammates with Jordan Cairo. <laughs> Said Jeff go. Brown, the former Blues defenseman, is close with Chikrin's dad. This uh, is the you cons- got to find the ties. The tinfoil Ferrario is coming out in full oh. force today, boys. Uh, All right, let's get into the NFL. Let's go around the NFL coming off of week 17. One more week left in the NFL's regular season. And Alex, we're going to see some records broken most likely this year. Uh, it looks like Cooper Cup is is probable to break the single season receiving record he needs 135 yards receiving which is kind of what he does on a weekly basis at this point Alex how am I supposed to view this 
because I understand he will be recognized in the NFL record books as the guy that holds the single season record. But he did so in an extra game. And for me, that does devalue that record a little bit. I I don't view what he's doing as quite as impressive as what we've seen previously. How are we going to differentiate these things? This is the tough part, too, because this is the this is the game now. It's 18 weeks and you're going to start seeing guys put up these numbers. Can I stop you for a second? What? No. Did I just to, did I just say something wrong? No, no, already? you did nothing wrong. Well, I, I did never do wrong. anything. Wrong. Taylor, who are the Blues playing tonight? The Pittsburgh Penguins text line. Nobody said Steelers. Let's forget <laughs> about it. Move on. Did I miss that? I just totally Honestly, missed that. the Blues would beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game. Yeah, Big Ben stinks. Hockey or football, frankly. That's what I'm saying. Both football and hockey day would win. <laughs> All right, sorry. Go back to no, I, I'm done now. <laughs> Let's start it again. Jacob Chikrin. Here's how I look at he's this. He's not on the Steelers or the Penguins. No, he's not. Here's how I look at this one. Whatever the record is for 17 weeks, I think you have to take into consideration adding a week to that player's numbers, right? So, like, I don't know what the number is for the record holder in 17 weeks with the record that Cooper Cup's trying to break. But, like, pacing it out? Yeah, like, I think you'd have to pace it out. So, like, sacks, for instance. Of course, TJ Watt is chasing Michael Strahan to set that record in single-season sacks. I think you have to take into consideration what Strahan did in 17 weeks and kind of calculate what 18 weeks would have looked like for Strahan. That's how I'm going to sit here and say, oh, okay, TJ Watt's the new record holder. If you go up by a half a sack, I don't know if I'd be viewing it the same. So you almost do it as like a yards per game instead of of a yards for the entire season because Calvin Johnson, in his record-holding season, he had 123 yards per game. Now, what I would add is there are also three other players in NFL history that have more than that. They took place in 1951, 61, and 1982. So, yeah, t- Tanner was around. That's when the Steelers played the Blues. Exactly. Cooper Cup season is 11th all-time in yards per game, but he might be first all-time in yards for the season. So this is – it's just going to get really tricky because what you're going to end up seeing is all of the records will be from 2021 or beyond just because they have the the advantage of that extra game. I would, I would just do it kind of in a different – like have a record for when they had what they the played 17 weeks and yeah. then when they played 16 and now when they play 17 That's now smart. granted you're going to have a record holder uh for every category for week 17 now if you did it that way but i think that's the best way to approach it because I- i'm i'm with you guys i don't like cooper cup's been awesome but i can't sit here and say when he gets that record next week if he gets it that oh yeah okay cooper cup's the all-time receiving leader no i would still view calvin johnson that way because he did in 16 games which in my opinion is more impressive and then I would just separate Cooper Cup into another category. Okay, he did it in 17 weeks, and then you can just build from there. Granted, they'll probably be playing 18 games in a couple of years, so it may not last long. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, this isn't the first time that the NFL has increased their season in terms what? of t- games played. Uh, of course. No, they've always played 17 But weeks. for 42 years, we played 16 games. 42. We're on what, Super Bowl 56 this year, something like that? And then Roger Goodell comes along. I mean, for the along. vast majority of the NFL's history, uh, at, at least for our viewing o- or our listening audience right now, for the vast majority of your NFL watching experience, you have seen 16 games. And now you see 17. So I, I do think there is, this is something the league is going to have to reckon with when it comes to the uh, the record break. T-Bone, are you smiling at what I'm smiling I at? I think so. Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I'm surprised BK doesn't have a 3.14 R arrow 2 dash yards. 
Is that what that is? Square yeah, times squared. 15 analytic just for the case. Do you have an analytic for this? Give me time. G- give me a week and I'll get, it, I'll get it prepared for you guys. Alert. All right, as we continue going around the NFL, guys, do you think the Antonio Brown saga changes your opinion of the Bucks when we get to the NFC playoffs? I, I heard on the fast lane yesterday they were talking about this a little bit and where the, where the Buccaneers now rank among the NFC's contenders. Does it change your view of the Bucks that they will not have either Godwin or Antonio Brown once we get to the postseason? Absolutely, it changes my mind. And you don't even know if you're going to have 100% Leonard Fournette when it comes to the to playoffs. I, I have said for the last five weeks to you guys, I'm just, I'm not sold on, I, I get the Tom Brady narrative, I'm not sold on the Buccaneers being a Super Bowl favorite this year. They have all of the makings, their defensive play, how they've struggled offensively now without these playmakers. I get it. They have Evans and Gronk, and you might get somewhat of a four net back. You don't have the makings that you had last year to run away with it. They look like a team that could get beaten the second week. So, yeah, without Antonio Brown, if you're Tom Brady, you got to be a little ticked off because I think that took a massive hit to your Super Bowl chances. I still view them the same way that I had before this happened, and I, I'm with you. I think they're vulnerable, but I, I've seen Tom Brady win with less in his wide receiver room before. So I, them losing, yeah, but he had a better defense and a better I, coach. That, that's why I think they're vulnerable. But I, I'm not going to take a look at Tom Brady and say, okay, without those two guys, he can't go on to win a Super Bowl. If the defense gets hot, plays well for five games, they could easily be a team that's a Super Bowl champion. So I I don't think it changes my opinion of them at all. I think there are a couple things. Stolzer made this point yesterday, and it was a good one. First of all, last year, everybody will point to the fact that they did it while going on the road in each of their games. That was without fans in the stands, and that does change things. If you look around the league this year and you look at the home records, a little different than it was a year ago. So I do think that matters, and the fact that they would potentially have to go up to Green Bay and play in Green Bay with fans in the stands when it's going to be cold, I don't love that matchup for the Bucks. The other thing is it it really just depends on the matchups that they get in that first round. I mean, if you're telling me they're going to play the Eagles in the first round of the playoffs, yeah, I'm going to favor the Bucs in that game. Once they get to the second round, though, they're playing the Cowboys or the Rams or the Packers. I don't know. I think I would favor all three of those teams over the Buccaneers in that second round. And certainly if they play the, the Packers or the Cowboys in the NFC championship game, I would favor those teams, especially if they're at home against the Buccaneers. So it does change things for me a little bit. I I like what they have with Evans and Gronk. If they don't have Leonard Fournette and they don't have either of those two guys' weapons for Tom Brady, I don't view them the same way that I did two, three, four weeks ago. I, I do think they've taken a little bit of a step down in my, in my book on uh, NFC contenders. Next thing as we go around the NFC, one team we have not mentioned yet, the Arizona Cardinals. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with their game against Dallas. Guys, we all loved the Cowboys going into this weekend, and none of us were believers in the Arizona Cardinals, mostly because I think all of us are skeptical of what they're getting so far this year out of Kyler Murray. You ready to go all in on them now after what they did last week against the Cowboys? No. Okay. I'm I'm not ready to go all because of Kyler Murray. Your concern over Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills is my concern over the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray. And the only way that I was buying into Arizona earlier in the season was because their defense was playing out of this world. And now they're not doing it. I got concerns with Kyler. I got concerns with Cliff Kingsbury. Without DeAndre Hopkins, they're not the same team. That game was strange to me because uh, the Cowboys, I was a little bit more taken back by. I'm like, what just happened? We've been talking about their players in Parsons and De- like we've been talking about these guys. 
and they can't stop Kyler Murray. So, no, if anything, I took more out of the Dallas Cowboys loss than I do the Arizona Cardinals. They, they're still a team to me that I don't see getting past the first round. Yeah, I just view Dallas and Arizona on the same level where it's like, yeah, they're good, but I don't know. They're not great. And I don't think they're a team that can make a Super Bowl run. For me, it's Dallas. It's offensively because they just haven't been able to put together with their weapons. They look the, just weird. So weird. I don't understand, man. Sometimes Dak just. Doesn't He's been so himself. good at times this year, and there's other games where it's like, why are you missing everything high? It doesn't and, make and sense. Ky- and to me, Kyler's the same way. Like, I know Arizona wa- won that game 25-22, and Kyler was okay, but I, I didn't walk away from that game going, wow, Kyler Murray, Murray was really impressed could take this team on a run. I'm with Alex. He's kind of my Josh Allen of the Bills for Arizona, so I, I can't buy into either team. I agree with both of you. I don't view them as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, but, I mean, there comes a point in time where we've got to say – who is the legitimate Super Bowl contender? There is for, none. For me in the NFC, I, I just view the the Packers as the overwhelming favorite right now. I don't trust their defense against any running games that have any sort of threat against them. Like if if they went up against the 49ers in the divisional round, I do think that would be a really interesting game because the 49ers just are a bad matchup specifically for the Packers with their running game. I don't think the 49ers are better than them. I just think it's a weird matchup for the Packers, but well, I, I think they're the best team in the NFC uh, by a sizable margin. Uh, right and now. now there is a clear cut team winning it all. It's the Titans because okay. Derrick Henry's back. I saw that. Does that change anything for yes. you guys in the AFC? Derrick Henry today was designated for a return. Now that doesn't mean he's healthy. It just means that they have the option of bringing him back at some point in the next three weeks, which means the divisional round. If they end up getting the number one overall seed in that buy, does it change things for you? <sighs> yes, but I, with a little hesitancy, I want to see what week 18 looks like. I want to see if it's the same Derrick Henry. Are you still just powering through people like a wrecking ball? Because if you are, they're the clear cut team in the AFC. I mean, I just, I don't know how Kansas city can stop that other than just by outgunning them offensively. I don't think Buffalo can stop that, nor can new England and Cincy. I don't know about Cincy. So if this, if, if this is Derrick Henry, that was in the MVP conversation, they're the clear cut team in my opinion. I think they'll be the favorite if they can get if they can get the one seed because then they have that week whether it is uh, Henry plays this week and then he gets that week to kind of recuperate in his first game action or if they don't if they decide not to play him this week and yeah. he ultimately gets this week and next week off and then he's going to be refreshed for that divisional round then I can buy into Tennessee. I think that's what you'll see. Yeah, and that's kind of what my expectation is too. I, I think if they don't get the one seed though. I could see them being bounced in the first round. And I honestly, I don't have that much trust in Ryan Tannehill. I, I brought up the stat yesterday, and it was from Booger McFarlane. He said that the, the Titans have lost two games this year when they've rushed for over 200 yards, and that's because they turned the ball over, and that's a sign of the quarterback. Well, I, you're not I turning it over it. if you got Derrick Henry. I don't know. I mean, Ryan. I mean, unless you're fumbling it on Derrick, the handoff. They had Derrick Henry in those two games in which they rushed for 200 yards and still lost, and it's because Ryan Tannehill's making costly turnovers. They've so, lost this year against the Jets and the Texans, so they could yeah. lose to anybody. They, yeah, they but could also beat anybody. That's expecting to beat your opponent. I, totally with you. They they beat the Bills, Chiefs, Colts, Rams, and Saints in a five-week stretch. Without Derrick Henry. I mean, they, they are unbelievable at their peak. They can also get beat by anybody. So I, it does change things for me. Derrick Henry is one of the very few players in the AFC that scares me as a Chiefs fan. I, I don't want to see that dude. He's terrifying. I, I would have probably, if he continued on the pace that he was on, and this is the, the the rest of the season played out as is in terms of individual performers. I think I would have voted for him for MVP. Yeah, this year. I would have too. 
And that's how good he is. So it does change things for me. If he's back to being the same Derrick Henry, whoo, buddy, Titans are going to be a force to be reckoned with, especially as the team that potentially gets the bye in the AFC. Coming up in 10 minutes, the Blues depth of scoring. I was looking last night, Alex, to find, okay, who are the comparable teams around hockey over the last 10 years that have done something similar to what the Blues are doing right now? It is really hard to find comps. We'll tell you a few of them and what it could potentially mean for the Blues coming up in about 10 minutes. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey guys, I know you're all in on trading for Jacob Chikrin, but he's $4.6 million against the cap for the next few years, and the Blues are already right up against it. So who are you going to trade to make the, make the room for Jacob Chikrin if you were to do that? Alex, what would you do to be able to make room for Chikrin. I think it, I mean, for me, it's pretty obvious. You're trading Marco Scandella. That's that's the money that you're offsetting with this. But as I said earlier, I think if you're trading Marco Scandella, you're going to have to add another asset to that trade. And, and what was it? It was on the Last Minute Blues podcast with Rivers, Burton, and Fandango. The proposal he had put together, Jamie Rivers, was Perunovic or Neighbors, Ville Husso or a goaltending prospect, Klim Kostin in a first-round pick. Probably Scandella. But that's just getting Chikrin. I think if you want Chikrin and you want to get rid of Scandella, it's going to be Scandella and probably a second-round draft pick. Since we're on the topic of this, boys, can I give you a tinfoil Ferrario? It's Whoa. been a minute. It's been a while. T-Bone, give me something. The new world order. 5G cell phone towers taking over the world. Microchips in your bloodstream. And... Earth is actually flat. Ferrario, don't forget the tinfoil hat. Did the, did oh, the balloon party come up with that open for us? Why? It feel, feels like something that what we would have heard in the 10 o'clock hour. No, this What's is, going on this here? Is, this is, this is the, this <laughs> the, is the infiltrating tinfoil. our show? <laughs> That's true, but this is the tinfoil moment, boys. Okay, I got I got so many webs going on right now with Jacob Chikrin, but you know why Jacob Chikrin's going to be a blue? I'm not going to give it a 95%, but I'm going to give it a 75%. I'll give it 95%. Let's make this happen. I'm going to convince you guys 95%. Jacob Chikrin, as we talked about in the previous segment, uh, played in juniors hockey with one Jordan Cairo, and they tore it up. His head coach in junior hockey was one Darian Hatcher. And if anybody remembers this name, you don't, BK, because it's hockey back in the 90s. Never heard of that guy. Hatcher played for the Philadelphia Flyers in the 2006-2007 season when Craig Bruby one was Craig Bruby was an assistant coach for Philly. Can I keep going with that? No. I was going just, with him. Just stop for a minute. Following it. Can I give you one more? Two? If you didn't miss the wonderful interview we did with Rick Tockett yesterday, you mm-hmm. can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. By the way, thank you to Dobbs for that podcast sponsor. Thank you, buddy. Rick Tockett talked about with us the blues going all in and acquiring a defenseman to shore things up and be a stanley cup contender and you remember when you followed that up bk and said you got anybody in mind he said i got a couple guys in mind i don't want to say their names 
What team did Rick Tockett coach a couple of years ago? Tampa Last Bay. Year, right? Nope, not Tampa Arizona. Bay. Arizona. Oh. What uh, team does Jacob Chickren play for? Mm, Arizona. 95% Jacob Chickren. Oh, There's wow. all kinds of connections. Oh, and his dad is friends with Jeff Brown, former St. Louis oh, Blues. Well, what's that is, is it always sunny in Philadelphia where they're like, and? <laughs> They've got everything all lined up on the wall. That's that's oh. Alex Ferrario right now. Boom! He's the detective well that done. has gone well so far in on the case that he... He just has lost all sight of just what is reality. Call me Sherlock Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, all right, one more here for Sorry. questions and answers. Took a lot of Alex time. took up a, a good amount of the time for us. But I made everyone us. happy. Um, let's get to, the, to this one. Jacob Chikrin. <laughs> okay. If you could take over as the general manager for one professional sports team, you get to determine which sport it is. Would you rather be the GM of a team that is rebuilding or a team that is already set up for success and you have to find a way to keep them at the top? Which would you prefer? I would much rather be the GM that has a team that's built for success. Kind of like what the Cardinals are. They're built for success. They're just on the verge of being that championship caliber team. That's the team I would want to take over because rebuilding is so hard because you have to nail the draft and then you have to develop the players and then you have some of that don't work out and then you have to reset and you have to trade assets rebuilding can easily get caught in just a recycle phase where you can't get out of it like look at the baltimore orioles in baseball look at a lot of teams in baseball actually look at them they can't get out of it so i i would much rather be a gm of a team that's kind of up and coming and into heading into a contention window See, I'm the opposite of this one, and I'm under the assumption that I have an ownership group that is going to give me the expenses to spend. Yeah, let's let's make that one of the requirements like, because you're not going to want to be a, yeah, you don't want to be the Pittsburgh Pirates, regardless. That they're yes. not going to give you the money to spend for guys. I would actually rather rebuild because I don't think there's as much pressure on that person immediately as there would be of contending for a championship. But on top of it, you get more leeway. Like you come in in a championship, your window is however long you expect it to be, and then you're gone. Mm -hmm. And if you don't win, it's over. But if you come in and rebuild, like look at Bill Armstrong with the Arizona Coyotes. If you come in and rebuild, they're going to give you three to five years to do it. And I have confidence that if my ownership group would be giving me the money, I have confidence that I would find the correct staff and then I could turn that into a champion. Plus, I want something that I can say my hands are a part of rather than somebody else who put it together. Totally with you. If I'm if I'm getting into especially like a baseball situation, I would want to rebuild. I would want to step into a place that has solid ownership and I'm going to rebuild. In the NFL, it's interesting because I think the best place to step into there is, do I have the quarterback or not? Because if I've got the quarterback that I believe in, even if my team stinks around him, I can make that work. If I don't have the quarterback, though, and it's difficult for me to find a way to get one, that's where it's very, very difficult. And you're probably going to get fired three years from now, whether you're rebuilding or you've got a good team at that moment. And think about it, too. If you rebuild and build a team for a championship, you're a legend. If you're just a part of a team that wins a championship, you're not as much like Doug Armstrong is a legend where I view it a little differently is because I understand where you're coming from, where you can build the team. How many general managers actually build the team and get to stay there and watch it happen? Not very many. A lot of them build the team. They don't know they actually built it, get fired, and then three years later go, hey, look at that. My hands hey, are on that championship that. team. Not that guy. That <laughs> guy gets question. all the credit. That's I mean, you a think, really good point. I mean, hockey, though, like Doug Armstrong's won, but 
I mean, the L.A. Kings general manager got to see two of them. The Chicago Blackhawks general manager like, got to see three of them. Look Pittsburgh. At, look at Mo, for example. He has a World Series title, but what does everybody point right. to? They point at Walt Jockety for that World right. Series title. Imagine being Steve Eiserman, though. Where but that's that's taking away from your point, though. He took over a winning pedigree team. And with the no, no, opposite what direction. I'm, what I'm saying, okay, I guess it's true. Because but I, what I'm saying is, like, for example. he did keep it kind yeah, of at the top. Yeah, what I'm saying, though, is, like, Walt gets credit for that championship because he's kind of the guy that built that team moving that's, forward. That's our point. That's what we're saying. No, no, because but, he took over a rebuilding team. Because at the time, the, the Cardinals were not a contender. He takes over, builds them into contending, and then okay. the guy that took over for him, which just was to maintain the contending, In other words, Walt he was gets a bad example. Walt was a Walt horrible was a example. example. So thanks for solidifying our case. Alex Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, <laughs> it's very rare for an NHL team to have this kind of scoring in terms of the depth that we've seen from the Blues. I've got seven teams in the last 20 years that did what I think the Blues are on pace to do this year. We'll tell you what those teams were able to accomplish and what it could mean for the Blues next on 101 ESPN. way that we have to be good is uh as i said team and pack mentality and and uh we'll have to assess how we can get better under that format we we don't have an answer internally for mckinnon or or mcdavid or crosby or ovechkin these guys are our number one overall picks or top picks and the way that we have to build our team and the way we have to continue to do it is by by believing each other supporting each other and understanding that uh individually we're, we can't get it done we have to do it as a group and that's what the Blues have done so far this season. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Doug Armstrong at the end of last season talking about how the Blues have to go about it. And Alex, so far this year, the Blues have six different players currently on pace for at least 20 goals in the 2022 season. They also have Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shin, who are not on that pace right now, but it wouldn't be a surprise to anybody if they started getting towards that pace towards the rest of the season. Yesterday, I was listening to the fast lane, and Jamie Rivers was talking about this, that the depth of scoring that the Blues have right now. He said it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody if the Blues finish the year with six and maybe even seven players that score at least 20 goals. I want to focus on that seven forwards to score at least 20 goals for a moment because that is incredibly rare around the NHL, as you would probably expect. I looked this up, Alex. Over the last 20 years, the only teams to have seven forwards reach at least 20 goals or more in a single season were 2019. There were two teams that did it. The Capitals and the Maple Leafs. 2014, Philadelphia did it. 2011, the San Jose Sharks did it. The Capitals were able to do it in 2010. And then you've got the Red Wings in 06 and the Devils in 2001. Those are your teams that accomplished what the Blues might be able to do this year. I find that to be interesting because of this. I also looked up what those teams did in the postseason. And if you look back to that 2010, so between 2010 and 2019, there were five teams that were able to score at least 20 goals with seven different players. Four of them lost in the first round of the NHL playoffs, four of them. That was stunning to me because this is the depth that everybody dreams of having in terms of the the scoring. But then you look at what they had on their blue line, and that was the issue with those teams. They weren't able to prevent the goals. They were all in the bottom half of the league in that regard. The Blues right now are 11th, so they don't have the same potential fatal flaw, or at least to the same degree as these other teams, but Alex, when you see this, we play the game something or nothing. 
Is it something or nothing that these other teams that have the depth of scoring that the Blues are currently featuring, most of them ended up losing in the first round of the postseason? I'm I'm going to say the defensive side, it is something. But overall, I think it's nothing. Because if you look at three of those five teams, they, the teams that they lost to went on to win the Stanley Cup. So, like, the team that they lost to is a team that deservedly should have beaten you. Like, it's different if Tampa would have been one of those teams in 2019 when they got beat by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Then I would have been like, okay, what's going on here? But, like, you look at the Washington Capitals in 2019. Washington, they lose to Carolina. Carolina and Carolina, when they, they got swept by Boston, but Boston, of course, goes to Game 7 against the Blues. Toronto's its own entity because Toronto can't win a... Uh, a series in the NHL playoffs. So that doesn't really matter. 2014, you had what the flyers in that one, mm-hmm. the flyers lose to, by the way, coached by Craig Berube, which I found interesting flyers lose to the Rangers. Rangers go all the way to the Stanley memory. cup final and they lose in that final. The sharks, they get bounced team that goes to the final, the capitals team get bounced. They go to the final. For me, I, I think when you look at a team like this and you're like, okay, they got all these goal scorers, but is defense the issue? You're right. You got to be strong in that area. That's how teams win championships. But I also look at it and say, okay, well, who did they lose to? And if you get beat, so like for the Blues instance, I think the Blues are the team that would beat a team that's a favorite in terms of this category. Like I think you look at that category, teams are going to look at the Colorado Avalanche and say, oh, man, they got what, six guys that can score 20 or more goals? Why wouldn't they win? they would fall into the category of this, of losing in the first round because of a team like St. Louis. So that's where I'm at on this one. See, I think it is something because I, I think it points to how, and BK, you brought it up, the Blues are 11th. They're not in the bottom tier of giving up goals. But I, I think it points to something that, okay, you have to have a solid blue line. Otherwise, the depth of forwards does not matter. And you have to have solid goaltending to go along with that too. And that's that's where I've been coming from all year is, you know, the Blues defense, we saw what it looked like when it was not clicking at the beginning of the year. It was a bit of a struggle for the St. Louis Blues. It's been better of late, but that goes back into our conversation of do you go all in? My opinion, you do. You go all in because you have the depth of forwards that you have. Best we've probably seen in maybe even franchise history for the St. Louis Blues. And to me, if you don't have that solid D defensive pairings and you've got Biddington giving up three goals pretty much every game. When you get to the playoffs and it comes down to the matchups and teams can lock down, and I get it, the Blues will have depth of scoring. They might be able to survive this. I think it becomes that much tougher to advance in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and that's where I think we're looking at. Learn the lesson from those teams, and and that's the thing for me. Learn the lesson. What was their flaw? Was they did not address their defensive pairings, and that's what ultimately doomed them. Do not be that team. Make that adjustment. Yeah, I, I think this is just about not having a fatal flaw. Whether that be your your uh, power play, your penalty kill, your goalie, your blue line, whatever it is, whatever it is in the NHL, if you get to the playoffs and you have a fatal flaw, it will be exposed. Maybe it's coaching. Like sometimes you just you don't have the the right coach to be able to um, get you over the top. We've seen that in every sport, certainly in hockey as well. They there's constant turnover for a reason. And the Blues right now, I don't view their blue line at the moment as a fatal flaw. Because I want to find out more about Nico Mikola first. I, I want to see if this guy can be a top-pairing defenseman. But if we get a month, month and a half, maybe six to eight weeks away from now, and it's just looking okay, it looks like it could be an issue against some of the top teams in the Western Conference, boom, make the move. That That's the difference to me. As you look at some of these teams and the Capitals that we mentioned in 2019, they were 17th in goals against per game that season. You look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Alex, how many times have we talked to people from Toronto, <laughs> especially during the Alex Petrangelo sweepstakes, and they said, hey, we just never had that number one defenseman, and that's been our issue for years. They were 18th that season 
in goals against per game. Uh, you look at the Flyers. They were 20th out of 30 teams in goals against. You go back to the San Jose Sharks, one of the teams that did actually make it out of the first round. They made it to the conference finals and lost 4-1 to against the Vancouver Canucks. They were 10th in goals against per game. So they were the team that didn't have that fatal flaw on the blue line, and they were able to advance as a result. And then you look at the Capitals again in 2010. They were 16th. So what do you got to do? You got to make sure you're top 10 in both goals for and goals against. You can't just be awesome in one area. It's great to be able to outscore opponents, but eventually you do get to the point in the postseason where you got to be able to win games two to one. You got to get guys who can win games for you too. Like a, in, you look at goaltending. I, I mean, I could go through that list that you just named of those teams and I can recall the goaltenders that they had. The 2019 Capitals one's a little strange because they had uh, Holtby at the time and Holtby had won them a Stanley Cup. But that was coming off of a Stanley Cup championship, and it's hard to go back-to-back when you look at teams like that. But Toronto, Toronto didn't have a number one goaltender. Philly didn't have a number one goaltender, nor did the San Jose Sharks. I mean, San Jose Sharks at that time had... Frederick Anderson was actually really good that season for Toronto. But Frederick Anderson has always been a regular season goaltender, not a playoff goaltender. And that's where I come back to the Blues. I get it. People are not happy with Jordan Bennington, but the regular season only matters if you get to the playoffs. You get to the playoffs, all of those numbers go out the window when you're focusing on the playoff numbers. And Jordan Bennington is a gamer. Don't bring up the bubble. That's a different entity. And you saw the playoffs last year, but the Blues were never healthy. If I'm putting my faith in something, yes, defense has to be good. But the struggles on defense can be offset by a really good goaltender. And we've seen Bennington be a really good goaltender in the playoffs. And that's the thing with Bennington, too. Or at least it was when I looked at his numbers uh, before he came back from injury. I don't think they've changed that much since. It's his save percentage is actually very good. Because he's let, they're allowing it, like 40-something exactly. shots on him. And, and that comes back to the defense. It, now, he's got a high goals against average. But that's like you said, because of the shots. His save percentage is actually right about where you would want it to be. It's about yeah, where, you, about where you'd want you'd it expect. to be. You could be if you want a little bit better that's fine but it, but that shows you right there that he's the guy you could probably trust heading into the postseason and, and if you want to look at the areas that we've discussed on is it going to live up to those expectations three of the next six games you're going to find out pittsburgh washington nash i'm sorry for the next six games pittsburgh washington toronto and nashville if you can shut down those top lines with pareko and mikola on top of your forward play and bennington plays well and I would imagine Bennington's probably going to be playing in all of these. Yeah, and the rest of the month, by the way, don't forget, Calgary twice, and you've got Vancouver as well. And Winnipeg. At least has a few threats for you. Um, that's that's yeah. where you're going to find out. Th- this month is the perfect opportunity for the Blues to find out exactly what they have in Nico Mikola. And there's no excuses for, oh, well, these guys are exhausted because they have so many days off in between of all of these games. Yeah, they're healthy. Knock on wood, it stays that way, but um, they, they're not at the moment, again, knock on wood, dealing with COVID issues, and they're going up against legit contenders. So you have all of these, you throw it into a bag. Let's find out. Let's see what comes out on the other side. If you're able to, like like Alex said, dominate or come out of this, this window with 70% of the games you're feeling like you're getting points in, that that's how you feel really good moving forward, and it's got to it, specifically talking about the defense. It's got to look good when you're watching the games. Got to look right with, uh, especially Pareko and Mikola. Regardless of the outcome, if these games look like the way that Pareko and Mikola played against the Edmonton Oilers, you're going to be in good. You're going to be in a good spot. He's Alex Ferrario. He, you'll hear him tonight on the pregame coverage for Blues versus Penguins. You're home for the Blues right here on 101 ESPN. That begins at 5:30. Coming up next, the latest update. On Major League Baseball's collective bargaining. Bum, bum, bum. That's pretty much how it's going. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
unless there is a significant change of thought on one side or the other, I don't think there's any chance spring training starts on time. Um, these two sides have demonstrated that, uh, you know, the two leadership groups have demonstrated they don't cooperate, they don't collaborate. Uh, the conversations aren't going anywhere. Um, it really does feel like, as Jeff Passon said, like the two sides are speaking completely different languages. The idea that they're going to come up with a nuanced labor agreement, I'm just not confident. And I do think there is a chance that the season is going to be delayed. Well, it sounds like Buster Olney might have been right. That was a few months ago now with Alex Rario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Jeff Passan, who we mentioned in that cut, had an article earlier today over on ESPN.com breaking down where things stand right now with Major League Baseball's collective bargaining negotiations. And uh, spoiler alert, it's not good. Oh. Here's Come one on, piece, one excerpt from his uh, story earlier today. Said February 1st is still the first litmus test for Major League Baseball. If they haven't made progress by then, chances are spring training is going to be delayed. That's not a huge deal, though. March 1st is the one that sets off the alarm. If there's no progress by then, my God, two more months of this. Only a quick agree. That was me, not Jeff Passan. Two more months of what? Talking hockey? It's okay. Jeff actually probably said that while riding it. Only a quick agreement will save games, and even that might not get it done. There's still free agency that needs to be finished, arbitration numbers that need to be put together, and algorithms for teams to rejigger based on all of the new inputs from this agreement. Players who haven't been allowed to talk with teams need to set up travel to do so. Those players in foreign countries still need to get visas to return. Shoehorning all of that into three weeks of spring training is nobody's idea of a good time. End quote. Again, that comes from Jeff Passan over at ESPN.com. Guys, I don't get the sense that spring training is going to be starting on time. Why? I don't know if the season's going to be delayed, but it's hard for me to think about the fact that we've now had about five weeks since Major League Baseball officially went into a lockout. Exactly five weeks, actually, from the day that Major League Baseball has been in a lockout. They have met zero times. Zero. There have been no negotiations since this lockout began, and there are no negotiations that have been scheduled it is January 5th. We are not that far away from that February 1st date that would probably have to be met in order to save the start of spring training. That's not a huge deal, as Jeff Passan said, but it is the start of, okay, things got to start getting going here at some point. You got to at least get into a room and pretend like you're negotiating on things. Maybe by just happen, happen chance, you guys actually think, oh, that's a really good idea, Rob. Or you look at the other side and you're like, okay, I think we could work with that. And then you go down the rabbit hole and it works out. Alex, I have such little faith in Major League Baseball right now to get this done correctly. I'm to the point where I expect spring training to start late. And I, I'm i just hoping now that the season isn't impacted. Well, BK, I, uh, I like to put more faith into people rather than just discount them. So I have a little bit more faith in than, than you on that. And. I just always believe when it comes to these negotiations, there's a there's a kill date for what they're trying to accomplish to where if they cross that date, then things start to get ugly. And I don't think we've hit it yet. And I March heard first, probably. Yeah, I heard Danny Mac talking about it on the morning show today. Um, and I mean, you think you probably need what three weeks of spring training for these guys to get ready with a week to get guys down there and everything going. So you're looking at four weeks. So, yeah, you're, you're talking March 1st, probably. It gives them some time to do that. And I think in, in these negotiations, or at least I would hope in these negotiations, 
both sides, Tony Pena, Rob Manfred, they both have written down, here's when we need to meet. Like, Tony this Clark. Is, Tony Clark, I'm sorry. <laughs> Looking what did at you say? Tony Pena, looking at something completely different Former here. Baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like they've written down the date to where they have to meet. And look, as much as it's worth talking about, like, of course, they're not meeting yet because one, it's the holidays. No, I, I'm not giving them any credit. I'm going to give them credit on that. Like, Absolutely you're not, not. going to meet in the circumstances that have taken place around the holiday season. You, you should have met at, at the some point over the last five yeah. weeks. I have zero sympathy but, for the. But then, that's one week. But if then, they don't meet in the last week, that's fine. But then over the meeting last is four weeks before then. That's absurd. But them meeting is different than them talking. Like you're, you're telling me them meeting means that they have had no communication. I would expect that they've That's, had communication. Yes, no, they have had no communication. There have been zero offers from well, of the, no. from either side. But you That's don't think the they're talking to each other? No. That's the only communication between the two sides right now. There has been nothing from the time when the when Major League Baseball went into a lockout to today. The biggest new move for baseball was them firing Ken Rosenthal. That's that's the I mean, single biggest move for was, baseball. Maybe that was the biggest task that Manfred had to get done. Apparently, apparently through the holidays, the now only thing he was focusing on was, hey, Rob. Ken Rosenthal said something mean about me once. Now Fire it's just him from Major League Baseball Network. Yeah, but it's smooth sailing now. It's 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 crazy. I yeah. I just don't understand how this is the way that the sport is conducting itself. When you had a chance to actually be in the public sphere for this three month stretch, and you're just punting. You're just completely punting on your offseason. Maybe they should involve Tony Pena. And to your, maybe. <laughs> Might get done faster. And to your point on, okay, well, we just haven't reached that date where it's, okay, this is when things really have to get serious. I, I think they're undervaluing how many issues they have to resolve. I, I mean, we're talking about completely redoing. You read every article, and there's like 10 different things that they want to accomplish, and it's not like it's an easy negotiation. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's like the, I think they're approaching it as, let's say March 1st is the deadline. All right, March 1st will hit, and then we'll just, we'll really dive into this. I don't think they realize how long it's going to take. I, I, I honestly believe that they think, okay, we're going to hit this date, and it's going to take two weeks of us negotiating. We'll get it done. Maybe we'll have a short and spring training. You guys are so far off on everything. I mean everything. You're not even close on anything that they may hit that deadline, and it's going to probably take another month to negotiate it. I I think we give Major League Baseball and the Players Association too much credit if we honestly believe we're not going to see the season be shortened because they can't get something done. And, Alex, I I get, like, y- you have an optimistic lean, an optimistic yeah, live long bend, and, and Mike Schilt definitely said that once upon a time. Mike Schilt probably can't find the optimistic side of this <laughs> Also, I can't bend. He's in the front office now. I know, and he's probably going, oh, man, we can't solve this. The this. reason I can't go there is because of what we saw in 2020. And this feels so much like that, where the owners or the players, whoever you're mad at right now, you can be mad at both of them if you want to be, uh, whoever it is, they're, they're dragging their feet. And they're saying, ah, you know what? It might not be the worst thing in the world if we uh, if we miss a couple of weeks spring training. The problem is, okay, so you're dragging your feet to be able to push everything back. And my assumption would be, if I'm thinking about this through the owner's perspective, for example, they're probably saying, you know what? If we get to the point where it's March 1st, players are starting to realize, okay, spring training supposed to start now. Like, we're supposed to be down there. And we need about a month to get ready for the season. I need that paycheck. And that's when the squeeze starts to start. And the owners believe they can get more from their side of the negotiation if the players are feeling squeezed. So they're just going to drag their feet until then to get a better negotiation on their side of things. The problem is if the players are actually dug in and they're saying, you know what? Normally you could get away with that and we would fold because they have in the past. 
We're not doing that this time around. And the owners miscalculated. That's when things get real ugly because then it still takes another month of negotiating. And now you're into April without an agreement in place. And now you still need a month to get the season going. And you're talking about early May as the starting date for the season. Now you've missed games. Now you've made everybody in your audience upset. At least now there is one thing that I will say that Rob Manfred's right about. Having this happen in the offseason is, of course, better than having it take place in the regular season. The reason why I thought that comment was so nonsensical, though, is because this can always lead to games missed in the regular season. And if and when that happens, everybody deserves criticism, especially if they continue to not negotiate and to not talk to one another or talk past one another. I just think Manfred realizes that the juice is worth the squeeze. No. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But next, has Baker Mayfield played his final game as a Brown? At least one Cleveland sports radio host seems to think so. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Has Baker Mayfield played his final game as a Cleveland Brown? That's the question that they're asking right now up in Cleveland. He's expected to get surgery this week on his shoulder. It doesn't sound like he's going to be playing on Sunday. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Aaron Goldheimer is one of the top radio hosts up in Cleveland. And Alex, here's what he had to say about Baker's future. Well, I think Baker has played his last game as a Brown. So I don't even think this is about competition. I think that he's just toast. Um, in part because I think the Browns are ready to move on, and in part because I think he wants a change of scenery, which I think you'll see that take place here. And I think what's most likely is there's a second tier of guys that come available in the Derek Carr, Matt Ryan conversation, and I would bet on one of those guys being the starting quarterback of the Browns next year. Can I just say, screw the Browns part of this one. Baker deserves to move on. I kind of agree with you. If I'm Baker... I would also want to go elsewhere. I mean, my career has probably taken three years off of what I have had to endure over these last few seasons because Cleveland's too dumb to go out there and spend money on offensive linemen. I, I mean, their offensive line's pretty good. Well, I, obviously not year, when you're sacked nine times. Well, this year the problem is everybody on that offense is hurt, including Baker. But his first three years, he was solid. He, he was a pretty good quarterback for them. And it's just been an awful, awful 2021. And I think that all started with his injury to his non-throwing shoulder. Alex, last year we talked a lot about the quarterbacks that were potentially going to become available and how it was almost like, you know, every offseason we have the coaching carousel. It's now become the quarterback uh, carousel every offseason as well. I think we're going to see it again. I think Russell Wilson's going to change teams this offseason. He mentioned Derek Carr and Matt Ryan, both of whom could become available. We'll see on Kirk Cousins, maybe Tua, maybe Baker. There's going to be six to ten different veteran starters that are potentially changing teams this offseason. So, Alex, I I feel like this is a really good opportunity for a T-bone three for a Ferrario five. Oh. You're darn right, not T-bone three. Ferrario five hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario five, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. All right, number five on this list, Logan Brown. You should probably mention what the list is. Is that too soon? Yeah, a little bit. 
the top five quarterbacks that could change teams this offseason. And we're speaking realistically. Obviously, Tom Brady is not moving Wasn't on from there? the Bucks this offseason. Well, and the quarterback, Logan Brown? Might have been, been actually. In the qualifier, you said the five best quarterbacks that could change teams. That could change teams. So not just quarterbacks. We're going with the top of the top here. Mm-hmm. An honorable mention is Derek Carr. I didn't have him on this list, but I do think Derek Carr, now with the John Gruden scenario, with their wide receivers being released slash not eligible to play anymore, Derek Carr is going to want out. I don't know how, but he's going to want out of there. But he didn't make my top five. Number five on this list is Tua. I think Tua has proved himself to be a eligible quarterback on a good team. I think Miami's a good team, but I also think Miami wants to go elsewhere. So I think two is going to be on the move, but I think it's going to swap quarterback for quarterbacks here. But I think two is the, the number five on this list for me. And maybe he should have been higher up, but I view this a little differently. Three and four are intertwined. Baker and Kirk Cousins. I, I saw this rumor that, you know, maybe Stefanski wants to get reunited with Kirk Cousins and they flip quarterbacks. Baker goes to Minnesota and you get Kirk Cousins over in Cleveland. But I think I kind of like that, actually, for both teams. You three like would that, be, huh? Do you, you like that? <laughs> three, would, three would be Baker, four would be Kirk Cousins, in my opinion, because I think Baker's a little bit better. I just think Baker just unfortunately has just been obliterated with a roster in Cleveland. So those were, what, three, four, and five. Number two on this list is Russell Wilson. I think it's pretty obvious Russell Wilson's going to be gone. What are you looking like that for, BK? Trying to figure out who your number one guy is. Russ has got to cook somewhere else. Russ does have to cook somewhere else. Sometimes and maybe you got to move the franchise. Maybe go somewhere where there's nice barbecue. Yeah. Cook some barbecue or some sushi. Northwest. Oh, wait, he's where sushi. Maybe he's yeah. going to cook some uh, pizza out in New York. Yeah. The Giants. That team sucks. Skyline, Chili, and Cincinnati. Who do you think number one is on this list? I would say Rodgers. I honestly don't know because I don't think Rodgers is moving. If you're saying Rodgers is going to be moving on this offseason, okay, then I, I guess he would be at the top of the list. But I would I'm be not very Rodgers. Jimmy G? Matthew Stafford? Nope. Sean Watson. Oh, that, uh, I just I he legitimately, not, just, he definitely counts. Oh, okay. I, I wasn't even I thinking had forgotten about, him. about Deshaun Watson. That's why I, I think it could be intertwined with Miami. I think you could see Tua with Deshaun. Sure. But honestly, Deshaun could go anywhere. But if I don't think if Rodgers was going somewhere, he'd be number one on this list. But because of the MVP, because of this season, he ain't going anywhere. Totally. Agree. So Deshaun Watson was number one on this one. So the top five quarterbacks that could realistically change teams this offseason, according to Alex Ferrario, Deshaun Watson, number one, Russell Wilson, number two, number three slash four, depending on which way you want to put them baker mayfield and kirk cousins number five to a number six Derek carr i think this is a pretty darn good list and i think it speaks to the lack of options this offseason yeah. i think deshaun watson's going to be a dolphin I, I think given everything that we've heard speculation wise this season i would be very surprised if he eliminates his no trade clause waves that for anybody other than miami so we can go ahead and match that one up I think the real bidding war this offseason is going to take place for Russ. I think you could see teams like New York, as I mentioned previously. I think you are going to see the Carolina Panthers get in on that. Denver. Denver will absolutely absolutely be a part of that bidding war. I wonder, I don't know this to be the case, but I wonder if a team like Indianapolis would give consideration to that if they're not all in on um, on Carson Wentz, maybe Pittsburgh. Now that it looks like you're going to see Ben, uh, ben Roethlisberger move on, I could see any of those as options for um, Russell Wilson. And honestly, what about Cleveland? If you're Cleveland, don't you have to? If you're going to move on from Baker, don't you have to get in on the conversation for Russell Wilson? Isn't Absolutely. that somebody that you would want to 
potentially trade for. And it probably doesn't hurt that bad because Baker's contract goes up to $18 million next year, I believe. And I don't know what Russ is making, but I would assume. It's like 35 30 to 35 40, something like that. So, I mean, that covers at least about half of what you're spending already. So th- there's not as much moving around as if you're swapping like a Tua who's making like $1 million. What is the best case scenario for Baker? If we went on that side of, of the discussion here and we were talking about it from Baker Mayfield's perspective and the Browns told him, hey, you can seek a trade. We'll, we will negotiate for the best terms on that deal, but you can determine what the best potential fit is for your future. Where would you want to go if you're Baker? Because I would say Denver. Denver would yeah. be my number one option if I'm Baker. I think in New Orleans, too. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. He makes a lot of sense for them. That's actually a really good option. And and I don't know. Is Michael Thomas expected to be back next season, but he might be with someone else? Yeah. Yeah. The other one, I I mean, Minnesota to me, but the problem, Minnesota, they don't have the greatest offensive line either. Um, But New Orleans is a really good answer. I think New Orleans would be the number one. Stick with Winston. That's the whole reason I'm so hesitant to say someone. I just don't know if they're going to stick with him. Though he had a one year deal, though, right? So they they could move on easily if they wanted to. If you can, if you can get Baker. If you're New Orleans, I think you have to make I mean, that the play. The club for him was always like, if he reaches his upside, Drew Brees. And you put him shorter, with Sean Payton? He's accurate. He he wins with the short game. You've seen Sean Payton win with that style of quarterback before, right? That makes a ton of sense if you're looking for Baker's future. I wonder if he'll look to go to somebody that would rather play more of that college-style game, and that's why I look at Carolina it's and Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule would be the perfect coach for him. And I get it. There's not a lot of weapons on that offense, but they could easily add to that if you're Carolina. You go get Baker Mayfield, you don't get him to keep the same offensive weapons you have. You have Christian McCaffrey in the backfield. They would make a move probably for a wide receiver, a draft at least a wide receiver with one of those top picks. So to me, Carolina's that team, but again, that depends on if they keep Matt Rule because I I think he fits perfectly into what Matt Rule would want to do, play more of a college-style game. And Baker Mayfield, where did he exceed? It was playing with a college-type coach in Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. If you are the Panthers and you end up not getting Deshaun Watson, you don't get Russell Wilson, and you don't get Baker Mayfield, now what? Jimmy G. Blow it up. That's the biggest fear if you're Carolina. Because you built this defense, which is very talented. They haven't had the greatest success this season, but I think a lot of that is just because they've they've had injuries and they've been put in really terrible situations by their awful quarterback play. You've got great weapons around your quarterback when uh, Christian McCaffrey is healthy. And then you're going into next year. And it's like, we doing this again with Sam Darnold? Because D- Darnold's wouldn't done. You, wouldn't by you the give way. a shot to PJ Walker? Like, why? Like, you're seeing the success with Heineke in Washington. Wouldn't you give a shot with PJ's been your best quarterback this season when he's played? I mean, they've all been so bad. They've all been bad, but at least he's been the best out of the bad. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I would rather have, like, Derek Carr. At least he's competent. You know, I I think I would go towards one of those guys where let's find out what Tua looks like. Let's see Kirk Cousins. At this point, I've got to get somebody that's at least baseline level of competency. You know, a quarterback that I'll keep an eye on just because I think someone will give him another shot. And this feels like a Carolina move because it's a bad move. His car's (laughs) back up. Marcus Mariota. There seems to be a lot of intrigue of what he could do if he got another opportunity. How much of that is media driven, though, versus like actual intrigue within the sport? Because I think we do this sometimes in in, I, I in any fair. sport where it's like, hey, that guy, he, I mean, he's like, never really had the there, opportunity. Was but there if a he lot did, of uh, media intrigue for when Mike Glennon got that deal to go be the Bears quarterback? Remember, he no. was a lifetime backup. Mariota at least had the but shot, was, didn't work out. Mariota was like a top five pick, though. I, sure, I think it's okay, a little bit. Fair. I think it's more Jameis Winston-esque, where it's like, hey, where's Winston going to go? And then he gets like a one-year, $5 million deal with the Saints. Was that's there fair. really that much intrigue around him, or was he just 
See, yeah, I think there, I think easier. there was, I think there was with Winston because you saw the potential. Like, he had like what thirty touchdown passes Did you say with Tampa Winston? Bay. Yeah. Oh, I guess that is his name, Winston. What do you think? It was? Never. Mind. I don't know. He also had like thirty interceptions. That I know, year. but I he think, was the first member of the thirty thirty club. I think. The, <laughs> yeah. I, I think the intrigue though was that if you got him with a coach like Sean Payton, an offensive genius, then you would go, okay, what would he do? Maybe he could cut back the interceptions. I wonder if there will be that same kind of. I think that's kind of the intrigue that came with James yeah. Winston. I think that's what you're hoping for, but at least Jameis has shown you the upside. I, I don't think we've really seen quite as much. It's to a lesser degree with Marcus Mariota. Hey, when I all of these him, guys that Alex mentioned, I would take all of them way above. Week one when like I was in, in Vegas, I saw him run for 50 yards and pull the hammy. It was impressive. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. No, no, in 15 Mariota. minutes. What is Braden Shin's long-term future with the Blues? Is he going to be a winger for this team, or is he going to eventually move back to the center position? We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock, but next it's time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. a list of words that you say that anytime you say them like why why do I keep saying that it means nothing it adds nothing to the conversation why do I keep saying that um I don't I think I say I think I say totally a lot I don't know why I use that I don't think I've ever noticed that yeah I'll let you know if I find that legit I'll notice it now I say stud a lot I wonder why. I think we've all got these phrases that come to mind and we use them and they mean nothing. And then somebody will point it out to you. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, I'm saying that all the time. Well, there is an annual list of the words or phrases that we need to remove from our conversations comes out each and every year. Oh, this will be fun. It is from Lake Superior State University. It's their banished word list. Here were their top 10 phrases for 2021. Tell me if you guys think that you are uh, guilty of using these. Wait, what? Guilty. No, I never say that. I'm guilty. I definitely say that. Wait, what? Yeah, just like that. No, because I usually listen to people. Okay. Shots fired, am I right? If you're surprised by something and they wait, what? What what just happened? Something like that. I definitely use use that phrase. No worries is another one that I am one hundred percent guilty of. If somebody yeah. says something and it's they're like, Hey, sorry about that. Oh no, no worries, it's all good. I absolutely use overuse that phrase. I don't know if I do that one either. Man, I'm trying to think of ones that come to mind. This is one that I use on the radio too much. (laughs) The text line's amazing. BK, right? AF and BK. And what I meant, what I mean by that, I do say that a lot. Tanner, if I'm being honest, but this is the best one. BK, I don't have the answers to that. That that's a good one. I definitely do that. (laughs) That's definitely um, one that I use. This next one, though, I've noticed it, and I'm trying to fix it. At the end of the day. Oh, you John Mozalock. At the end of the day is one that I think we use. Anytime we're talking about the future of the sports team, we definitely use that over. uh, We're over-reliant on that one. Man, I'm 
I, I know there's a bunch of them. Like I use, so one of my like fallback words when I do pre and post is unbelievable. And like, I need to stop saying it because it's not unbelievable. I, when you guys said at the end of the day, I thought you were like getting ready to say like the word that BK uses comes at the end of the day. No, like no, 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 no. Just at no, the end no, of the no, day no, the is end the, of the phrase day. that I use. The next one is that being said. Oh, I say that one. Oh, I say I that one a lot. I use that I one. Use that one. I Asking use that one. for a friend. I think we use that one a nah, decent about. BK asks about friends all the time. Uh, circle back. So like I'll circle back on that with you. No. I don't think I really use I that, that one. That's way too professional for me to say. A deep dive. Oh, yeah, I do that. Oh, that's brutal. Really? I don't even know. I don't know if it's deep, but I've told you when he's out and I host, and I'm like, we'll dive into that next. I think I use it on every damn tease that that I do. do. We'll dive into that next. No, we're not going to (laughs) dive. Ferrario's just really good at getting phrases wrong. That's also (laughs) very true. Six sellies with the boys. Six sellies with (laughs) the boys. Uh, the new normal is another one that they say that yeah, we need to remove from our parlance in 2022. Uh, you're on mute. I don't think we use that. <laughs> supply put chain. on mute all the time. Supply chain is another one. That's more. Uh, it's not really something that we talk about. I find lot, myself but. always like using the same words in conversations with people. Does that make sense? Like when, when someone's talking to me and I'm talking with them, like I always find myself responding with, oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's because you're not listening. Probably. Very T- true. Somebody on the text line said Tanner's is I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tanner, you are with us for a lot. <laughs> now on, I will not agree with them. Just no trying to what. disagree with us every once in a while. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. What about right and sure as someone's delivering a point? I never use the word sure. Sure is such a better word than right. I I use both of those. Try and mix them up. Yeah, I, I definitely use both of those. But I use more as a making sure that whoever is like, know Tanner's you're making to. a point. Yeah. I nod my head and sometimes I'll say right. I used sure to be horrible at that when I would do interviews when I was on KMOX. I used to always like in the person's answer, like every five seconds, I'd say right, right. Right. And I'm like, why am I doing this? It's the worst when you are doing an interview and you're with somebody who, and this is no shot against them, but it's just, we need different things for different people. A print writer will be with you. So they write for the newspaper or whatever, and they're doing an interview. And as the person they're talking to is speaking, they will keep confirming with the right, 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 right. And you're trying to get the audio for the radio. So your listeners throughout the entire answer, yeah. all they're hearing is the reporter right. next to you. Right. It's like, no, can oh, no. you just, just hold off on that? You can respond to them in whatever you, way you want to when they're done talking. Yeah, when someone is talking to you and you don't want to talk to them, just say, cooler, that's awesome. That's not why I do it. T-Bone, I don't know you said this. It's okay when turning down someone who wants to jump in the T-Bone hot tub. Mm. I cannot recall me saying that very often. You're right. I haven't you had never very turned, many people that yeah, turned down the hot tub. I've yet to even gather the hot tub, so it's becoming Can't difficult. afford it, can you? No, no. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, you give us two options. We will tell you which one's more likely to happen. More likely to happen coming up at 115. But next, is Braden Shin a winger or a center for the Blues long term? We'll answer that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Jason Finn is the type of player, Alex, who will play wherever you need him to. You need him at wing, he'll do it. You need him at center, he's happy to do so. You need him in so. goal, he'll do it. He'd, he'd be yeah. ready for you. If, if you needed it, I think he would be willing to do it. Better than Huso. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> the thing is, he's also one of your highest paid players on the team. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be here in St. Louis, at least the expectation is. He's going to be here for a long time. He's got, what, six years left on this contract, including this season? Yeah. So, no. Last year was the first year of so it. So five it? years yeah, left five on years. the deal. So he's got a long time left here in St. Louis. And as of tonight, he is on your third line as a wing. When you signed him to that long-term big money extension, I think the Blues probably expected he's going to be our second, second center man. He's going to be like a 1B type of player for them. Well, Craig Berube was asked yesterday about how he feels putting Braden Shin on the wing. Here was Craig Berube's answer. I find this to be interesting. Um, I think, um, you know, he's had success in both areas. I think he's played it his whole career. I think he's moved from wing to center, center to wing, pretty much his whole career. So um, right now we'll start him here and we'll go from there. Can I hear the beginning of that answer one more time? He was asked, hey, you know, hey, Craig, how do you feel about Shin playing wing as opposed to center? Um, Man, you could have fun with that one. What do you make of that, Alex? Can I ask a couple more questions to Craig Ruby, though? If you need to. Craig, what do you think about the Cardinals moving on from Mike Schilt? Um, Craig, what do you think about the Blues uh, not trading for Jacob Chikrin? Um, Craig, what do you think about Tanner in his hot tub? Oh, he has no comment on that. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes about sense. <laughs> He's unavailable, actually. <laughs> Look, Braden Shen, when he played in Philadelphia under Craig Berube, he was a winger. By the way, it's seven more years, including it, this it year. It is seven more Six years. Six years after this one. So was it an eight-year contract that they signed him to? Eight-year yeah, deal, yeah. 854, I believe. That might be the first eight-year contract that Doug Armstrong has handed out. It's it's a big money deal over a long term. He got it down to six and a half million dollars per year because of the number of years yeah. that he was able to give in that one. But yeah. here's here's where I'm at with this one. He's played the wing before. He's been effective. He's more effective as a centerman. But right now you can't take O'Reilly Thomas or Barbashev off of the center position because of their production. So you need him to perform on the wing. With that being said, it really makes me wonder what the future is for Braden Shen, because when you signed that did that deal with him, I loved it. Because Braden Shen plays a style that never ages. He plays a heavy style. Now, when you get older and you can't stay healthy, that's a concern. But Braden Shen normally has kept his body, kept his athleticism up to form. He plays pretty much every game in the season. The last couple of years are the first time you've really seen him fall off a little bit. The problem with Braden Shen, though, is the $6.5 million. Because if you cannot outplay Robert Thomas, if you can't outplay Ivan Barbashev, and if you're not performing on the wing, where do you fall? So here's here's a question that's going to be important. Do you expect in the next couple of years he's going to be playing above O'Reilly or Thomas at center? At center? No, I don't. Do you expect in the next couple of seasons he's going to be playing above Saad, Kairou, or Buchnevich? I can see him be playing above Saad if he gets back to the form that was 26, 25, 28 goals in three consecutive years. But if he's not up to that, if he's what he's been in the first season with, well, the first season with the Blues, it was great. But if he's second season where he had 17 goals or if he's 16 goals, then no. But I could see him playing above Saad, but Kyrou and Buchnevich, there's no way. Because if you don't, 
then you're basically talking about him as a third line player. If the blues end up going out there and making a big deal, um, cause Vladimir Tarasenko would be the other player. Maybe you keep him on the books or maybe you go out there and make that big move for uh, Matthew Kachuk. We've talked so much about that. Maybe that's your sixth guy in your top six with Saad O'Reilly, Thomas, Kairou, Buchnevich, and then either Tarasenko or Kachuk. Well, and that's what somebody tweeted me. They said, my only concern is, are you going to have buyer's remorse when Ryan O'Reilly is up for a contract and when Matthew Kachuk is an unrestricted free agent? And that's where you've got to make some tough decisions. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because this is the start of what is essentially a trial period. It's weird to say that with Braden Shin, who has seven years left on his contract, and he's one of my favorite players on the team. He's been my favorite player on the Blues to watch over the last four or five seasons. But when business starts to get in the way of things, you have to look for flexibility. And if the Blues decide this offseason, hey, we want to make big-time moves, well, the contracts that you probably look to, the two of them, honestly, are Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shin. O'Reilly would have one year left on his deal after this upcoming season, and Braden Shin has, whatever, seven years left on his contract right now. If you want to re-sign Ryan O'Reilly and make a big move, it's probably coming at the expense of trading Vladimir Tarasenko and potentially also dealing Braden Chin from this current roster. I don't want to deal Braden Chin. I want him to be a part of the future. But the only way in my mind that that ends up being the case and they also are able to keep Ryan O'Reilly and make that big, they need Braden Chin to play really well the rest of the season. Yeah. He needs to be back to that 20-plus goal scoring The one thing output. that you can't measure with Braden Shannon, and I know this is such a cliche and people here be like, oh, who cares about that, is what he brings to the team off of the ice. And, I mean, Darren Pang talks about it. Joe Vitale talks about it. Curbs talks about it. Like, these guys, especially Braden Shannon, he's kind of a heart and soul kind of guy on this 100%. roster. And you take him away, do you have the guys? Like, remember what we talked about the year after they won the Cup when you lost the heart and soul, Pat Maroon, Joel Edmondson, and everyone was like, oh, man, you needed those guys back. You're taking a big chance by doing that. Can Pavel Buchnevich, Jordan Kairou, Robert Thomas, can they step into that role? I don't know about it that. It changes your identity completely if you remove either O'Reilly or Shin out of this equation. Completely right. changes the look of this team. The, what I would be interested in and what could take all of this away is what this team looks like if Laddie's traded in the offseason. Because you're not going to be able to get Matthew Kachuk unless some type of trade happens because he's going to sign probably a one-year contract and stay in Calgary before he's a UFA. And with that, if Braden Shen can be successful on the wing, Braden Shen, although older, and I think Matthew Kachuk has more skill, they play the similar style. So if Braden Shen's an effective winger and you don't have Vladimir Tarasenko, well, then he's in your top six and you might be smooth sailing and keep that window wide open. But you're right. If you want to keep Ryan O'Reilly... If you want to re-up Barbashev, Kairou, uh, Robert Thomas, and if you want to be one of the players for an unrestricted free agent like Matthew Kachuk, you are going to have to go back to Braden Shen, but I don't know if you want to change the identity of that team that drastically. You don't want to. You, you don't want to. And all of this gets back to our conversation that we had earlier today as to why 2022 is such an important year for the Blues. Because you do have Braden Shen right now. You do have the heart and soul of Brian O'Reilly. You do have the look of, at least forward-wise, a legit Stanley Cup contender and then on the back end, we have some questions. We talked about the ton. If you've missed any of it, podcast page will be up after the show today at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. But that's why 2022 becomes a borderline all-in season because 
whether you keep Braden Shin or decide two years from now maybe to deal him because he's a third-line winger for you and at $6.5 million per season, you just feel like you can use those assets better for you. This is the price of doing business in an all-in type of situation. They wanted to extend their window, and they wanted Braden Shin to be a part of it. So they gave him big money deals. You wanted to extend the window, and you wanted to have Tory Krug and Colton Pareko and Justin Falk to be part of it. So you got $6.5 million per year on long-term deals for all of those guys. You're going to eventually have to give out a deal like that to Kairou and Thomas. You might have to do something like that if you want to keep them around for Ryan O'Reilly. Eventually, there are more guys than there is money available. And the Blues have to make some very difficult decision. And if they want to go out there and make uh, Jacob Chikrin part of their future, or if they want to bring in a Matthew Kachuk or one of those top-end players via free agency or trade, whoever that ends up being, Braden Shen's the type of guy that might end up having to be on, not the chopping block, but a, a trade type of scenario. I hate it because I like Braden Shen, and I think he's super important. I'm with you, Alex, for what they are inside of that dressing room. But these are the types of decisions that Doug Armstrong has paid big money to make and the types of decisions that more often than not, he gets right. And that's what the rest of this season really, in a lot of ways, is going to be about from the forwards perspective is, okay, what is the future of Braden Shane here in St. Louis? Is it as a winger? Can he be a winger long term or is he a center? And how does he fit into our top six configuration in the future? From the 314 in the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, this is a good point. I believe Army signed Kairou and Thomas to those two-year deals because he thought those two can replace O'Reilly and Tarasenko because their deals expire. So I think Shen stays with the team because of the contract. Maybe so. And if that's true, then you've struck gold. Because if Thomas can be O'Reilly and Kairou can be Tarasenko, you've just kept that window open even longer than what we expected. But you better be damn sure you're right. Because if you move on from Ryan O'Reilly, you are taking a massive hit to the identity of this team. Vladimir Tarasenko is another entity, but he's a goal scorer. And Kairou has proven to be a goal scorer. We talked about it yesterday. Could see 80 points this season. But Ryan O'Reilly, that is a massive person to take out of this roster. If you take Ryan O'Reilly out of this team right now, I don't know if you're talking about them being a serious cup contender. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. But next, let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios, we will tell you which one's more likely here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service sex line. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one is more likely. Let's start with this one from the Cardinals. More likely Nolan Arenado wins MVP this season or Adam Wainwright wins 15 games for the Cardinals in 2022. I guess part of the question here is how many games do you think the Cardinals are going to be playing in 2022? 60. 56. Man, it keeps getting smaller and smaller. Seems unlikely he would win 15. Uh, 2023. I'm going to I'm going to say it's more likely he wins 15 games. Got 17 this past year. I think they're going to play a full season regardless of BK's pessimism. Um I, look, Arenado, the only the tough part 
the tough part for Arenado of winning an MVP is he's going to have two other guys that could be in the conversation as well, which are going to take votes away from him. But Adam Wainwright winning 15 games, I mean, that's just a matter of staying healthy because his defense can help you with that. And the offense, I think we all agree, is hopefully going to be better. So I'll say it's more likely Wayne will get in 15. I'm actually surprised by this. I guess I probably shouldn't because he had some down years in this stretch. But from 2014 to 2020, Adam Wainwright had zero seasons in which he won at least 15 games. It's kind of wild when you think about it. stunk behind him. Uh, 2014 and 15, they were really good. But uh, regardless... I'm going. I'm going the Wayno side as well. I would take that. It's just such a crowded field in the in the National League going into this season. I mean, Nolan Arenado could have an outstanding year and still not win it. So I would go Adam Wainwright. There's just fewer things that have to go right for him to win 15 games, other than as Alex said, health. Yeah, I- I'm with you guys. It-, it would be the 15 games because I, with the offense, as you mentioned, Alex. I mean, you're talking about three guys that could be getting MVP votes, so they'll be pulling some away from each other. Plus, Arnado's going to have to bring the average back up from where it was last year for him to get to where he wants to be for MVP voting, along with the on-base, too. I believe both average and on-base were way down from what you kind of expected leaving Coors Field, but it would be much easier for Wainwright to kind of get 15 wins. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. More likely to happen. Rodgers wins his second Super Bowl this year, or Brady wins his eighth? Mm. Mm. I think I would go Rodgers wins his second because... I, we mentioned earlier, though I have faith that Tom Brady and the Bucks haven't taken that far of a step back with missing two of their top three wideouts and Leonard Fournette, Aaron Rodgers has his top wideout with him and Devontae Adams, and he's healthy right now. And I understand there's questions with the defense, but Aaron Rodgers playing at MVP level. The NFC's going to have to go through Green Bay, which is going to be tough. I think it's more likely that they would win a Super Bowl than Tom Brady, who's going to have to have, what, at least one road game, and it may have to be in Green Bay. Yeah, Rodgers is the answer here because, I mean, defensively I have the same questions about Green Bay that I do Tampa, but the difference is Tampa's got better weapons. Without Godwin, without Brown, without a healthy Fournette, Tom Brady doesn't have the weapons that Aaron Rodgers have. Or has you talk about Adams, you talk about Valdez Scantling, have to talk about Randall Cobb, and then you got Jones and Dylan. So he didn't even laugh at that. I thought I he was going to chuckle at it. It's not even playing right now. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. But yeah, the answer here Rogers is Rodgers. I'm oh, going Rodgers as well. I mentioned earlier, I just think that the Green Bay Packers are the clear-cut favorite in the NFC this year. And it's not just because they have the number one seed, although that is certainly part of it. It's because all of the teams around them seem to be they peaked at the wrong time. The Bucs were peaking five weeks ago. Now they have too many injuries around Tom Brady. Uh, the Cardinals have been just so up and down really all season, certainly of late. The Cowboys, I don't trust them the way that I did a month ago. It's just the the, Nash, the NFC around the Packers has taken a step down. And I think the Packers have taken a step up in the last few weeks in the way that we view them. So I would definitely go the Rogers side of things. Next one up, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to finish with 30 goals this season. Pavel Buchnevich or Brandon Saad? As of today, Saad has 12 goals on the season. He's on pace for exactly 30. And Pavel Buchnevich has 11. He's on pace for 27 this year. More likely to finish with 30, Alex. Buchnevich or Saad? I'm going to go Brandon Saad here. It's because Pavel Buchnevich seems to be more passive than he is. I'm going to shoot the puck. Um, and now that he's going to be playing on the third line with other guys who go to the net and Barbashev and Shen, I just think Buchnevich is going to rack up more assists. Brandon Saad, one, doesn't pass the puck. 
That's what I was going to say. Got? Two we assists? know Saad doesn't pass. Three. He's up to three. three Saad is the opposite <laughs> of Robert Thomas on the goal side of things. Like, you combine those players, you got a hell of a player. But Saad is going to finish the year with 30 goals and, like, 10 assists. I love it. Saad is, is the prototypical, parks himself in front of the net and gets those dirty goals. And I think that's how he gets to 30. Power play and even strength. I think Brandon Saad's going to be the one. Has there ever been a player that is more exactly what you thought they would be in the Blues system than Brandon Saad? Because what he, what he was advertised as in this offseason, he's been exactly that. Like, nothing more and nothing less. He's been exactly what we expected him to yeah, be so far. I mean, I, I, I really can't think of... Nobody comes to mind. Just I, I mean, honestly, I was surprised by the distributing that we've seen from him. Robert Thomas is kind of the one I would but I say. Mean, guys that came from elsewhere because you just never know oh, how they're going to fit from into elsewhere. the system, right? I might say Shen. I, th- I think Shen was lived up to about what he you expected of him when he got acquired. But from he Philadelphia. was considered to be a power play specialist before he, he got here to been. St. Louis. I, I understand, but he was. I didn't even know. He was oh, he has the most that. power play points in the time he's been with the Blues of any other player. Really? I think he. The, mm-hmm. the reason why I say that is because Flyers fans, when he was traded to the Blues were like, hey, good luck with that. He doesn't play five-on-five, basically. And that has not been the case here in St. Louis. He's been very good at five-on-five here. I would put Tory Krug in this conversation. And I know it's only a short sample size, but I think he's... He was bad in year one. He wasn't bad. He just was low average, below expectations. But but those expectations, I think, were just unnecessary expectations. Like, he came in here and he was a point producer. Power play struggled, but that was because they had, didn't have Mike Hoffman on the number one unit. Now it's looking for understand that. I know. Now look at what the power play has been doing. I would say Tory Krug's that guy. Keith Kachuk is another one. Like you acquired Keith Kachuk and he did exactly what you expected him to do. I don't that's remember that. Chris Pro- somebody no, mentioned Chris Pat Maroon as well. That's that's a pretty good one. Although See, it didn't, didn't yeah, go that way early on. The first half of the season, everyone was saying get rid of him. I. It's pretty wild because you just you never know what to expect when these guys get Your dropped Letera. into a new situation. Okay, uh, <laughs> who who did you get? You went with Sod, right? Yeah, Sod. Tanner, who are you going with? Sod or Buchnevich? More likely to score thirty goals this year. I'm going to go with Sod as well because I know where he's going to be in the lineup. I know he's going to be on the top line all year. He's going to be on the power play, as Alex mentioned. Buchnevich is going to be up and down. He'll be on the third line for a while, and he may be up on the second. He's Hell, on the he, second power play unit Hell, as of could, tonight. He could spend time on the first line if you need to because of injuries. But because of that, I know right now he's on the third line. I think I would lean towards Saad. Yeah, I think I'm going with Saad as well on this one. 12 goals and three assists is just a an incredible uh, Pass the puck, Saad. No, no, I'll never no, have please to, don't. No, yeah. Please don't. I'm good with that. You know what was funny? The pregame, Joey and Curbs on their storylines uh, mentioned Saad's got to get some goal or some points. He hasn't done anything in six games. And then, boom, goal in front of the <laughs> yeah, net. Immediately, too. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. I like this one. More likely to happen. Vladimir Tarasenko finishes with 50 assists or Robert Thomas finishes with 10 or more goals. Oh, Thomas with 10 or more goals. He only has three. I, I understand he has three, but what think of the. What are we in tonight? Like 36? Uh, I, 34, uh, I think. Thomas is. Thomas is Tarasenko's on pace right now for 48. Oh, oh yeah. Well, and I said it a couple, I said it last week, like Ken Hitchcock always said, Tarasenko's a better passer than he is a goal scorer, which is crazy to say. This is going to sound bad, so let me finish before I. Robert Thomas's ability to score goals reminds me a lot of Zach Sanford. Oh, what the? I never said he's Zach Sanford, but what I'm saying is like Zach Sanford was the guy that didn't score for 15 games, then he scores four goals in seven games. You're like, whoa, where'd this guy come from? That's Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas is a passive guy, but he has a hell of a shot. So if when he gets the opportunities, he can put it in the back of the net. So I'm going to say Robert Thomas scoring 10. 
I, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I think I'm going to go Robert Thomas too because I think 50 assists is going to be – no, he did not sell me on the Zach Sanford comp. <laughs> Come but on. Robert Thomas could score a couple empty netters to help him get to 10. Uh, I, know, I, don't think, I don't here. think Vladdy – I don't think Vladdy can – I think Vladdy has the potential to get to 50, but that's such a hard task. I don't know if he will. On the same line as uh, as Jordan yeah, Cairo? I know. But he's got Robert Thomas on that line too, by the way. We're yeah. just – we're debating if we can get to 10 goals. Jordan Kyrie might get to 50 Kyrie. assists. <laughs> they both, you might have a line with two dudes who have 30 goals and 50 assists in a season. Wow. That's wild. I'm going to say what Rick Tockett said yesterday. If you're not buying into this Blues team, you haven't been watching any of the damn games. Somebody who's watched all of the games this season is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the voice of the Blues. He's Chris Kerber joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Kerbs, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Fellas, I'm doing great. Uh, an exciting day in St. Louis. Congratulations to City SC with, with the hiring of uh, Bradley Carnell. What a cool sports moment when uh, you get a new franchise, and it's such a big thing when they hire that first head coach. So that's that, that's a cool thing today to be reading up on that and learning about this guy a little bit. Yeah, it's been awesome. It, it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say about his philosophies and what what he's going to um, try to implement with that team. But it's been an exciting time for the Blues as well, coming off of the Winter Classic on Saturday night, now going into a big one against Pittsburgh on the road. This is the start of a, uh, a big stretch for the Blues. Pittsburgh tonight, Washington later this week, and then it continues next week with Toronto, Nashville, a couple of games against Calgary at the end of the month. Uh, this is going to be exciting. Exciting. Earlier today, Curbs, we were talking about these being potential measuring stick games for the Blues. What do you want to learn about the Blues this month? I, I feel like we know a lot about them thus far, but what do you feel like we can learn against these contenders throughout the month of January? Well, I, th- I think the first thing is uh, hoping and assuming that we are through the, the real impact of COVID on this team Uh I think really I would just like to see them stay healthy for a stretch and then see what this deep team can do completely healthy for a run. So, you know, I, I, to me, that that's the biggest thing. Look, these are all clearly important games. I mean, honestly, you end up with a game even against Arizona who right now is at the bottom of the league and, and you're, you realize those two points are so critically important. And when you just see the standings and you see Nashville win and flip over the blues last night, the blues have played 33 games now, but You've got Colorado with four games fewer played, and then Minnesota with two. And I mean, Dallas is, is has got four fewer games. It's crazy to see what's going on here. And so you've just got to continue to make up points until the schedule starts to balance it out with games played. For me, this stretch is about staying healthy, continuing to play really good hockey. And I think if we get, Brandon, really specific in terms of then what, you know, what something on the ice, I would really like to see a run of six of nine, seven of ten kind of games where you're holding the opposition to two or fewer goals. Look, there's no doubt that the St. Louis Blues can score goals. With 91 goals scored on the season, they are a very good goal-scoring team. They've got one of the best goal differentials in the Western Conference. I mean, without a doubt, they can score. 
they can defend. But I still think that seeing those three goals against is just on a regular basis too much, and eventually that's going to catch up with you if the offensive goes in a drought. So I think on the ice, if there's a trend I'd like to see, it'd be the team goals against drop down over, say, 10 games where, again, you're allowing only two or fewer in, say, six or seven of them. Yeah, to that point, Curbs, we talked with Rick Tockett, uh, the pre and post on, on TNT yesterday, and he said that, you know, he can see this being an all-in year for Doug Armstrong for how good the team is up front and mentioned going out and making a trade for a defenseman. If you get to that point over this month where you find out that ah, you still need a little help on that blue line, we've been talking about three different guys, it seems to be in the rumors right now, with Sherratt, Giordano, and Jacob Chikrin. If those three were presented in front of you, you curbs and you were Doug Armstrong is there one guy that you would favor ahead of the others with with in mind the prospects and what you'd have to pay in return well I, to, to me the one guy that uh, in that group knowing that you'd have to give up the prospects in return would be Chicklin and the reason for that would be he he, he has term on his contract he, his age and you control him for a while uh, to me you're more willing to give up prospects if you have that kind of player coming back it's a very different situation than, say, a Mark Giordano, who is a free agent at the end of the year. So, to, to me, that that would dictate that. Look, here's the one thing I do believe, and you, you guys have heard me say this for a little while. Your window of for this group, with O'Reilly in his prime, with the way Perron is playing, with this year and Vladimir Tarasenko, to be honest with you, has to be a huge factor in that. Um, and, and what you're seeing with this group, I do believe in that all-in factor right now. I absolutely do believe in it. I believe that right now you go for it, even if it does mean costing you a prospect or two for the future. I've related, you know, and I realize that these might be extreme examples because you're talking about guys that eventually ended up in the Hall of Fame. But Calgary traded Brett Hall to the St. Louis Blues in a deal that helped ensure them win a Stanley Cup. The the Dallas Stars traded Jerome McGinley to the Calgary Flames for Joe Neuendijk in a deal that helped ensure them win a Stanley Cup. All right? And and I don't think you would give back either one of those and trade those for the Cup. So I believe that to stay in the window, there are a couple of deals like that that's going to happen. And whether that puts a, whether that puts an Alexander Bulldog on the trade block or a Jake Neighbors or a goaltending prospect or whomever it may be, I believe you're in that window now, and if it fits within the cap, you make it work because I, I'd much rather see that than, than kind of go the other way and just wait and see what happens. And, and I think I think as Doug Armstrong has proven before, whether it be the Ryan Miller trade or even a few other trades, and it's not necessarily one guy's right up against a trade deadline. Sometimes he'll move guys sooner and earlier in the year. We'll see how that one all plays out. But I believe Doug Armstrong has that aggressiveness in his DNA. Curbs, I'm going to admit some uh, ignorance here. How good is Jacob Chikrin? Well, look, look I, I think he's, he's, he's really good. Uh, he's, he's excellent. Uh, he's got an excellent shot. He can man the power play. At 23 years of age, there, there's still some growth. He's very mobile. But he's got size and he's got some aggressiveness to, to bang the body around as, as well. Now, for me, the knock that I had, guys, with Jacob Chikrin actually was not the fact that this is a good young, that this is a good young hockey player. The knock that I had with Jacob Chikrin was frankly the contract that the Coyotes signed him at the time. At the time when the, when the, when the Coyotes ended up signing Jacob Chikrin, who, by the way, keep in mind, he's still on IR right now. It was, it was a contract for $4.6 million a year. And you're sitting there going, How did, I mean, this guy had only played, I think, 50-something games in the National Hockey League. 
you know, maybe 80 and or something like that. And, and he ends up signing a six year contract, you know, worth over 25 million, I think closer to 27 million, to be honest with you. And I thought, geez, for a team that, you know, I, I didn't think that that contract was necessary, especially when we see how Doug Armstrong has managed the cap and kept guys to certain contracts until it came time to really pay them. So, but having said that, when you see the type of player he's developing into, this guy still has three more years after this year on a contract with a cap hit of $4.6 million. That becomes quite a value to this guy as he goes in there uh, towards free agency at 27-28. So you get a guy, uh, Brandon, that can play in every situation, and to me, a guy that could definitely step in and complement your top four. I know this is pure speculation here, Curbs, but I made the comp to uh, when the Rangers traded Ryan McDonough to the Tampa Bay Lightning back in 2014. In that trade, JT Miller was a part of it as well. But, I mean, that was a king's ransom that it looked at. We saw Pierre Lebrun make a reference earlier today that Arizona seems to be looking for kind of a Jack Eichel-type return of what Vegas had to give up for Buffalo. Uh, do you see it being that steep for Bill Armstrong, or do you think it might be more prospects because are not prospects draft picks because they're they're more in terms of trying to rebuild things through the draft well look this is where you got to take the knowledge that we have of who bill armstrong is uh could i see him asking for that much right now absolutely you ask for the moon and you see who's willing to give you and you see where some of the first initial offers come in and then build and, and go from there so i could see that Look, again, for a guy that's 23 years of age and you've got under contract for the next three years. Now, he does have a modified no-trade clause that's in there, but I don't think you're going to be worried about that when it comes to this guy. And in the, and in the area, even if the cap's going to go up a million dollars, which it's projected it could do next year, but it's still considered this flat cap stretch, you know, you're getting some real cost certainty on a guy that could impact your roster. So, yeah, Alex, I, I think that, that that example you give is a good trade example because, I look, the hockey trades are so important. I mean, go back to when the Blues traded Eric Johnson to Colorado and got Kevin Shattenkirk and Chris Stewart. And I know Kevin Shattenkirk became the mainstay of that trade, but man, did Chris Stewart light it up initially when he was with this hockey team. You know, and eventually Chris Stewart went to, to Buffalo as part of the Steve Ott and Ryan Miller trade. You know, so I mean, you consider, you know, everything that they did there. It, it worked out well for the Blues. The hockey trades are going to happen. And if you're the Arizona Coyotes, and where they're at and what they are going to do and what they are going to do with draft picks, this guy's value from a trade standpoint, to me, ends up being a lot more valuable than what he could bring to you on the ice. And the reason I say that is if you're going to finish close to dead last in the league, you're not talking about a turnaround that's going to all of a sudden happen in a year or two. You're talking about another three- or four-year turnaround. Well, when that happens, you're talking about this guy becoming an unrestricted free agent and about the you know and and I, I just don't see that timing working out. So I, I easily see why a lot of teams could be kicking the tires on this guy. Yeah, they have fifteen points on the season. Uh the next worst in the Western Conference so far this year is Seattle with twenty four. Oh god, I didn't know they only had fifteen um, points. It's, it's gone poorly for Arizona so far Listen, this guys, year. They're, they're they're look, this it, it's really clear what's going on there. And 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 I can I'll give you a real quick history on this. Okay. Go back go back 23 to 24 years ago, I, I was working in the American Hockey League. We were affiliated with the Arizona Coyotes. Keith Kachuk, Jeremy Roenick were playing there. Shane Doan was a rookie. And, and, and Danny Briere was playing with us, eventually steps into to the Coyotes lineup, you name it. Been watching that organization for a long time. There's a lot of good people that work on the inside of it. But the one thing that they have never done, never done, 
is developed a farm system and had players come up. You, you, you don't have the Robert Thomases, the Jordan Kairos, you know, and the things like that. It's just never happened that way. And because of land issues, because of, of development issues that, that, that originally started with the, there are two original owners down there in, in Burke and Elman, that this franchise just never really recovered. And then, then the league puts the building where they put it in Glendale, and it's never fully succeeded there. Sure, they've had some good seasons. They've had some good years. But from an organizational standpoint, it hasn't led to consistent winning years like we've seen with the Blues under Doug Armstrong for 10 years or what we saw, frankly, for the Blues when Bill Laurie owned the team and Joe Quenville was the coach in that 10-year run. That hasn't happened for the Arizona Coyotes. Bill Armstrong knows this. That's why, basically, when he had to restock the draft picks because of what they lost for cheating on the, on, you know, with, with the prospects and a bit of a combine that they had and, and some of the other draft picks that were traded away for Taylor Hall and for – and for Phil Kessel, he had to start there. And his goal right now is just to get to the draft. Just get to the draft and then start working his magic and building from there. So I don't think it's going to be just Jacob Chikrin, guys. They're going to have some other deals. And the Coyotes, I expect to see as an active team. Now, they still have to field the team. But I see them as having several players that could end up impacting the trade deadline. Yeah, they, as of right now, are scheduled, uh, according to Cap Friendly, to have three first-round picks potentially this year and five second-round picks. So if you want to know what the what the plan is there in Arizona, that, that should give you every glimpse at what they're trying to do. Hey, Curbs, we always appreciate the time, man. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy out there, and uh, we wish you all the best. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. You got it. That's Chris Kerber joining us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're going to continue this conversation. I want to talk about what it's going to take to trade potentially for Jacob Chikrin and who are you not making available in that kind of a deal. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. O'Reilly in his prime, with the way Perron is playing, with this year and Vladimir Tarasenko, to be honest with you, has to be a huge factor in that. Um, and, and what you're seeing with this group, I do believe in that all-in factor right now. I absolutely do believe in it. I believe that right now you go for it, even if it does mean costing you a prospect or two for the future. Say it with us. Chikrin! 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 Jacob Chikrin! Jacob Chikrin. Jacob. No, one, two, man. Two. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That look was desperate. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues moments yeah, ago. Desperate. If you missed any of that conversation or any of the rest of the show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guys, Jacob Chikrin makes a ton of sense for this team for a million different reasons. He's young. He is cost-controlled. He's going to make $4.6 million each of the next three seasons after this year. And oh, by the way, he happens to be really good and a left-handed defenseman. Everything the Blues need, he is in spades. Hey, real, qu- real quick, can we stop with the plus-minus? Because everyone's talking about how he was a minus 39 last year. You're on a team that's got 12, 15 points on the season. Your minus is always going to look terrible when your team is terrible. Yeah. Sorry, BK. He's on a bad team, so I expect the plus-minus to be 
really bad. The only problem is the cost with prospects. What you're paying him, not a big deal. What you are sending in return in in prospect hall could be massive. And that's where I wonder, Alex, if you're if you're Doug Armstrong, you're talking to Bill Armstrong. Say, hey, we want Jacob Chikrin. Who's the guy that you need from us? I think the only player that I'm saying is off limits for you, other than, of course, like the, the main the pieces that you, you need to win the Stanley Cup this year. The young guy that is a tradable asset that they're going to want. I'm not trading Jake Neighbors in that kind of a deal. Other than that, you can pretty much have my full allotment of prospects. Well, and I'm with you on that. Jake Neighbors is untouchable. Other than that, everyone's available. And Curbs mentioned a, a Bullduke in there. Zachary Bullduke was their 17th overall pick in the first round this past year. That could be an asset for them. Look at the team. Doug Ar- Bill Armstrong wants to rebuild. You know how you rebuild? Draft picks. You're probably giving up two first-round picks for Jacob Chikrin on top of throwing in a Klim Kostin, a Ville Husso, maybe a Scott, well, definitely a Scott Perunovich. But if if all I'm giving up are picks and a guy that's not going to be a part of this, I'm pulling the trigger on that. Jake Neighbors is no-go. Other than that, you can have your pick of the litter because Jacob Chikrin makes me a Stanley Cup team. Blues back in action tonight. We get to see what it looks like with Mikola and uh, Pareko on the back end. Once again, Blues versus Penguins. Pre-game coverage with Alex beginning at 5.30. Coming up next, we've got the fast lane. We will be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Science proves quality sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed senses your movements and automatically adjusts to help keep you both effortlessly comfortable. And it's temperature balancing, so you stay cool. So you're at your best for yourself and those you care about most. Life-changing sleep, only from Sleep Number. It's our ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed plus special financing, only for a limited time. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.